that was terrible. Uh, hello, Internet. Welcome to the game brought to you by Dungeon Studios, the worst-run podcast and live stream on the Internet. I am your host, Grom, joined, as always, by a doctor who invented Puff Puff Pass when it comes to your anesthesia, Dr. Notorious. How you doing, buddy? Puff Puff Pass it is. Doing all right tonight. But, man, we're not going to have any fun tonight at all. And why is that? No, because our guest is no fun tonight. That's why. So I'm trying not to be my excited self, because I'm kind of excited. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why you would. Well, because, because like, your, your, your Ravenloft, your Castle Ravenloft walkthroughs are a bomb, dude. That's why. How about that? I'll, I'll tell you what. There's certainly something. There's something. The bomb, I mean, that's up for debate, but there's hey, something. Come on, man. They're good. All right, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that later. No, seriously, man. Seriously. <clears throat> but that's why. I'm trying to keep my excitement down. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a fanboy of all things uh, RPG, so I'm always glad to have a guest on our show. Yeah, Doc's got to stay mellow because if he gets too hyper, he'll start bouncing around. You won't be able to hear him on his microphone. That is true, too. Uh, But I'm excited to have a guest, as always. No fun. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I just wanted to to assure you that, obviously, if you had any doubts about how bad things were going to go, the pre-show mess clearly illustrates this shit doesn't work very well for us. So uh, without further delay, let's get right into the meat of the show. Uh, we've said hi to our guest. It's time for a quick shameless plug because we run the show live. Obviously, we want to get the ones of people on the internet that watch us to start to hear about all of our shit. Uh, so, uh, that being said, please like, share, subscribe. You can find our podcast on your favorite podcast app, but also uh, you can watch our videos on the YouTubes at our channel. And uh, we also have a bunch of other stuff going on with our host, Dungeon Studios, games, modules, settings voice acting, shows, and all of that sort of stuff. Doc, why don't you tell people where they can find us on the internet? Yeah, you got to go to dungeonstudios.co. Uh, there's a whole bunch of smash and grab stuff there. You can get our Enron Chronicle. Oh, yeah, don't forget to check our artists out and find my Map Monster book where I got all those Map Monsters that you can put right into any campaign. And then we have our Volume 1 Adventures. I was just noticing it was our anniversary today of our kicks, our first Kickstarter being fully funded a year ago uh, for the Volume 1 Adventures, which are there. Really cool one-shot, uh, very social adventures, I like to put as sort of the, the ring on them. And then we also have our Volume 2 Adventures um, are there as well. And they're still being uh, finished editing as that Kickstarter just finished getting Funded. The final tweaks are in order. Yeah, uh, yep. all that fun stuff. Yep, yep. Yeah, like I said, but you can check out our Discord, uh, hang out, meet the people, contribute if you are creative, or just consume if that's what you're into. And uh, as far as our projects go, we have a couple of current ones going on right now. We're working on production for The Fables of the Forgotten, uh, a th- series of anthology stories, beautifully voice acted by nerds just like yourself. And. Uh, and then- our newest the, other one I, yep, go ahead. the newest one I love. I just love the newest one. It's called Deception Checks, right? And uh, we got some calls going out, some prank calls to folks, and these are crazy D&D 
characters calling people in reality and trying to get something done and reactions to people. It's, it's been a blast. I think we're up to episode seven now, uh, floating out there, I think on TikTok. Yep, uh, that's where that's floating out there. Yeah, short short uh, formats. Well, we're, we're a little bit of everything. Yeah, it's well, a little bit of everything going there. Yeah, well worth the three minutes of your time. So, well, uh, as always, like you said, remember to like, share, and subscribe. Check us out. Tell us about. Tell your friends about us. Come in. Check us out. Hang out for more than three seconds. We appreciate it. And now, since we have a guest, we want to give you a chance. No fun allowed. To go ahead and give yourself a shameless plug for who you are, what you do, and where people can find you. How's it going? No fun allowed here. Contrary to my name, I sometimes allow fun. I have a YouTube channel that's all about talking about RPGs and adventures and general GM and game advice. And I'm also in the works in regards of making a whole bunch of adventures content. And I also am starting up my own tabletop role-playing game. So Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. Excellent. Excellent. Heck yeah! Yeah, all right. I love it. Well, Did, hey, can you can, go ahead. wait? Wait, I was just gonna say your your game. If, can you give us a little a little uh, tease title theme? Is there anything? What you going for? Uh, so current working title is uh, Horrors Below, okay. and uh, the theme is. I you know I I, I want to make a game about not heroes, but I want to make a game about adventures. Okay, yeah, I, okay, that's a very important distinction. And no, that uh, something, something that really separates my game from insert big modern game is I I'm getting rid of HP as you know it. Uh, instead, your stats are your HP. Right, right, right. Nice. I like it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and as you get and as you go down, your stats go down. I love that. Heck yeah. I love that. I love that. That's yeah. that's an awesome concept. That's really good. Merwin, you monitoring the chat and everything, the live. Well, I'm trying to, but the I'm not so I'm old, so I'm not very good at the internets. Oh, okay. So this is uh, <laughs> like I'm trying to listen I, to you guys, find the stupid stream. This way, I can keep <laughs> I can keep tabs on it. Uh, while it's going, I can and I can interact. Apparently, I logged in as myself, not my page. So, whatever. I'm not very good at this. <laughs> are, are any of us any good at any of this? No. And uh, <laughs> like the, uh, I, I've been bothered lately because more and more I see the people like doing the social media shit for work, and like it's like come on, like it's bad enough you get X number of hours of my life already spent in your building doing your labor for your benefits. Do you now need me to make fucking sappy posts on the internet? Hey guys, best team ever. It's Thor one, one, one. Like I don't have fucking time for that. I, 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 and I see, and I, I get it. I understand. I understand the benefits. I get the marketing behind it. I know why it's important. I, 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 I'm, I'm not against doing it. I just personally can't be bothered. I don't want. I got. I got no time for that shit. No time whatsoever. But uh, with that being said, though, uh, as we explained before the show, no fun. Uh, we have given our nerd cred, kind of our nerd origin story, and we like to give every guest the opportunity to share theirs. So, when did it start? Where did it go? And how's it going currently? Yeah, what started it all? Uh, yeah, so basically I never got to be a real nerd growing up because unfortunately I was cast with the cool kids. It, oh. it, 
And, you it know, just, it, it, it's one of those things where it's like I, I, I was doing sports and I was doing terrible at school, so I, I just naturally didn't fit in with the nerds. And so I, I do I do my school thing, barely pass, and do my jobs, whatever. And then eventually at some point, all of a sudden I just randomly hopped on with a group of people that are playing a game called Blood Bowl. I don't know if any of you all know what Blood Bowl is. Uh, I am very familiar with Blood Bowl, in fact. Okay. So Murrin knows, knows everything. Yeah, knows there's, games, very, everything. there's very few levels of nerd that I have not touched. So continue <laughs> on. So I, I joined this Blood Bowl community, and I get really enthralled with that. And offhandedly, some one day, one of the people mentioned, oh, yeah, I'm going to go run a game of D&D. And uh, I, I never you know, played D&D ever or any tabletop role-playing game. So I, I just immediately go to the guy, and I'm like, hey, run a game for me. Hey, run a game for me. They run a game for me, and I bug him like every single day for a month straight, and eventually he he does it. So he starts running a game, and it only took me playing exactly one session for me to realize that that's what I want to do forever and all the time. And so I, I play for a little bit. We're playing this campaign, and then I say, "Here's this whole playing stuff. I want to run games." And so I just started running a bejesus ton of games. I ran games so frequently I'd run at least two to three games a week. And then it just kept on Wait, going. I'm going to slow you down for a second. When was yeah. this? When when did you first pick up the D&D? What year? Oh, God. Now, now you're going to make me feel old. You're talking about how That's old okay. y'all are. That's okay. I'm uh, the timekeeper. I'm the uh, keeper of time. Uh, what year is it the, the, today these days? It's 2023 right now. 2023, oh, God. Yeah, uh, 1980 so, was like 20 years ago. <laughs> exactly, right? Um, it must have been... Uh, I must have gotten started with D&D in 2017. Okay, okay. So, six years. Okay, and okay, and, wow. That seems like really quick. And then YouTube, right to YouTube. Yeah, so I, I, I ran... Go ahead, finish. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, so, so I, I ran these, these games... Yeah, I'm, I'm running these games, and I'm just running, running, running. I'm running two, three games a week, and then eventually it evolves, devolves even further. Like at one point, I run like four to five games a week because I'm running a West Marches game. And then at some point in uh, in our, the year that everyone loves, 2020, uh, all of a sudden, uh, people are telling me, oh, yeah, you should start a YouTube channel. And people... You know, they just pushed me to do it. And I was like, you know, screw it. I might as well. I got nothing better to do. And I just do it. I, I, I sit there and I record a whole bunch of videos for like a month straight. And then I get down to editing and then I realize editing is the worst thing ever of all time, of course. <laughs> but I, I just pump out a bejeez ton of videos. And I well, mind you, I, I didn't publish them right away. I, I was editing them. And then I realized, oh, I need a name for my YouTube channel. What the heck is it going to be? And I wrote down a list. I, I need to find that list somewhere. But the list included Save or Die, Save or Dies, uh, you know, my name and a bunch of other things. And I, I sat down and I individually went to a bunch of my players and showed them this list. And I said, hey, which one's the best one? And universally individually, they all agreed that No Fun Allowed was the best name. Because at some point, my players, they tried to do something incredibly stupid, and I was like, no, you're not allowed to do that. 
and then they all started pounding the table and they're like, no fun allowed. No fun allowed. And that became a running joke in, in our group of if I ever said like if I ever questioned or said no to anything, they'd immediately go, No fun allowed. So that that stuck. <laughs> and uh, and then I started publishing the YouTube videos and uh, it took a while to catch on, but uh, you know, I'm chugging along now. I'm sitting at I'm you know, I just checked. I'm I'm rocking a a solid number of subscribers. In yeah, the show. no, really, 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 you're doing an awesome job. I mean, now is your core group that you started with? Do you still play with them? Like, is that group still together? Yeah. Uh, and is that the same campaign been running? I guess that's going to be my other question. Uh, no, it is not the same campaign. Okay. Sadly, the the game the game that I started with uh, that did go on for years. Uh, but no, the. Um, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I was running a just ton of games. And because in that, that community that I was a part of, I became known as, like, the DM. I started running a bunch of one-shots, but then I eventually just started running a bunch of West Marches games. Uh, for the listener out there that doesn't know what a West March game is, basically, I sit down and make a game that 20, 30, 40 people can join. And whenever I run a session, I say, hey, I'm going to run a game on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Who wants to play? And then X number of people show up, we play, you go on the adventure, you come back, and then I run the next session. And it's playing the same universe, playing on the same map, you know, exploring the same world, just it's it's going to be a rotating cast every time. And uh, yeah, like like I said, for one of those West Marches games, I had like 30, 35 people in it. Wow. And, uh, it was it was a it was a pretty awesome rotating cast and um, I, I run games for those people to this day. Now, Not when you first time. now when you first started, all your DMing, you were doing you said four or five games. You got up to the peak. That was all like volunteer. I'm just running games for people. Yep. Or okay. And did you ever cro- when did you cross over into like I'm going to do a Patreon. I'm going to do paid games. Did, uh, only semi recently. Um, okay. um, through my Patreon, I don't have anything in regards of running a running a game through Patreon. Uh, so far, I have done several instances of paid DMing, uh, but funnily enough, that's not been through any sort of service. It, it's only it's purely been by word of mouth. People have right, recommended right, right. me. <laughs> the last time I did it, someone was like, "Oh, hey, uh, you know this guy? Uh, he he wants to he can run a game," and then. I started running it for him, but I, I do I, like I. So I, I consider myself a semi-professional DM in that regard, but I definitely do and should, and I'm more than willing to uh, do more paid DMing. So people pay you to not have fun and for you to make them suffer. <laughs> well, the thing I remember is if you if, if if you have a group of friends and then one of you sits down to have no fun, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh god, you know, screw this guy. But if you pay a third party, you never have to deal with that guy outside of the friend group, right? <laughs> so it's you know it's, it's a it's a necessary evil. Fair That's enough. True. That's true. Well, I, I I think uh, you 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 said semi. I think you are professional DM. I'm sure uh, by the metric of being paid. What's pennies, yeah, I was gonna say? I absolutely am a professional. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, if you, you get mention- paid pennies, you are professionally doing whatever job you're paid, getting paid to do. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I was just commenting. Now, do you do do you do something else as well? 
Uh, right now, no. I'm I'm a bit of a hobo. I I did just recently take on uh, another job. I was uh, selling fragrances, uh, men's colognes and women's colognes and whatnot. But um, but unfortunately, uh, that ship has sailed. I was only there seasonally, but. Other than that, uh, I am a freelance writer. That's that's one of my more main sources of income. I do freelance writing for other companies, and uh, also uh, pretty much through my entire time, I write for a bunch of other D and D YouTubers. Oh, really? that's awesome! Yeah, I, I write. I've I've written up scripts for videos. Uh, I've written adventures for other people. I've uh, I've written up. Uh, like like little subclasses and, and things of that nature. Uh, awesome. It's funny. It's funny to this day. I've I've had I want to say like five or six jobs, and I've never made a resume in my entire life. I every single job I've ever gotten uh, either just showed up and then they just accepted me, or I got it from word of mouth. Right. Right. Well, you're more than just a professional DM. It sounds like to me. Oh, I, I'm a, I'm absolutely like you know, harkening back to my 1920s, uh, you know, grapes of wrath roots of being a hobo, showing up to one place, getting a job, showing up to another place, getting a job. Absolutely. Hey, if it works, man. Uh, but I, I see on your. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No. 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 Yeah. 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 No, I say I, I see on your videos. I mean, you get a, a decent amount of views. I think I think one, the last one I looked at was like something like fourteen k. So I mean, you're getting there. I don't know what the threshold is to really start uh, YouTube in full time, but uh, that's a. I mean, the fourteen k is the stratosphere compared to what we're pulling down. So good for you. The, yeah, the real the that's real fun. trick to making it on YouTube isn't just making the videos. It's also making brand deals, and also far more importantly is just doing not experimental fun things, but uh, stagnant, correct things. Just slave to the algorithm? Pretty much. It's really sad to see. It's, I don't know if you've heard the, the term, the Mr. Beastification of YouTube, where there's a bunch of million subscriber YouTubers that put out videos that are literally shot for shot, word for word, bar for bar, Mr. Beast. Okay. But in a way, uh, in the D&D realm, that same thing is, is happening. You, like, the biggest D&D YouTubers, which, mind you, the D&D YouTubers are comparatively much smaller than million right. subscriber people, but they do the same things over and over and over again, and that's because, unfortunately, YouTube punishes them for trying to go outside of their norm. You, you, it's very obvious to see, not only because they say it, but also you can see the results, but... Uh, you know, if you if you look at some of those YouTubers, they'll be doing the top ten herpy derpy diddly d's, mm-hmm. and then the next video they'll want to talk about like maybe something a bit more serious or maybe more personal, and then unfortunately it just doesn't get that many views. And then, and then because it doesn't get more views, then you get further punished. Even when you do go back to making the regular scheduled content, it might not perform as well. Yeah. It, it, Depends on the luck of the draw. Depends doesn't, on the uh, algorithm. Doesn't, yeah. Crazy. Doesn't, doesn't show up as high in the list. Doesn't get recommended as often. Correct. I gotcha. What a cruel, cruel game they play with everyone's emotions. Because in the worst part is, is it, you say that right? Like everyone's emotions. Ultimately, it, you're only sacrificing the content creator to make good content, right? Because the consumer is right. only ever going to see good content, presumably. 
it, so long as you keep up your own algorithm by not watching things that you're not interested in, you're only ever going to get good content shown to you. But from the content creator's perspective, you just put out a banger 100 out of 100 video. If you put out a banger, or like an okay-ish 90 out of 100 video, then screw you. And that constant need to just constantly perfect yourself, to churn, to keep up with the trends, because there's a whole bunch of trends you got to look at in regards of how long's the video, what tipics are going to have, what's the first 30 seconds going to be like, what's the thumbnail, what's the title, what's the where do you put the ad sponsor? There's there's a whole bunch of these. In my view, that's just scratching the surface in regards of right, you look right. At. And you just have to do that over and over and over and over and over. And there is no stop because as soon as you stop putting in as much effort, YouTube is going to recognize that. I'm going to punish you uh, doubly again. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, isn't there a point of escape velocity when you have enough subscribers that, that the algorithm doesn't dominate what content you make? Um, I I can show you YouTubers who have 500,000 subscribers and they try to make something new and then they get 2K views on a video. It is regular. Oh, it, it's really sad to see because, unfortunately, you know, as, as we're just talking about, the, that sort of burnout where, you know, let's let's say, for example, uh, someone's making D&D content, specifically 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons content, and then they're just putting out these videos again and again for years and then let's say they want to make, I don't know, let's, let's say they want to talk about Pathfinder. No. All right, uh, let's say I want to talk about, you know, some old school Renaissance stuff. No. And it, it, you can, I, I'd have to show them to you. Uh, I don't know any names on the top of my head, but you can, you can see that the people that are trying to do something, they, they need to keep on doing that same thing. And well, it's interesting, too, because then with the OGL that just happened, if yes. everyone started talking about that, technically they were talking about something they don't normally talk about. So did they screw themselves about talking about it? Oh, yeah. gosh. Like- this OGL thing, and mind you, I've been talking to a bunch of the DD YouTubers during this whole OGL fiasco, and some people actually profited, and, of course, a lot of people did not profit off of it. Uh, oh, yeah, for yeah, example, yeah. is uh, some some of the YouTubers uh, all of a sudden immediately started pumping out content in regards of oh OGL news here watch yeah. now and and then all of a sudden their views go inflated and that's really awesome today but what's going to happen tomorrow is then you're not going to make OGL content and then all the people that start watching you because only purely out of the OGL content stop watching you mm-hmm. then YouTube is isn't going to see the nuance of that. YouTube is going to see X number of subscribers and X number of viewers watch video two, but when you put out video three, it, they're not watching it. Ergo, right. you're not making good content. And that I, I, it, it, I lo- it sucks. <laughs> just talking about that, I, I, I loved your thumbnail review video. Now, is that going to get you in trouble? Because that was very different than, than all your other videos, but I thought that was the, I thought that was so great. Merwin, did you see that at all? I did not see that one. Oh, yeah. oh my. It's, it's, yeah, so, it's, so oh. you know, I just put out a dumb little video of like, oh, hey, you know, looking at all the thumbnails uh, of, of people putting out OGL stuff. And yes, uh, it'll, it'll absolutely screw me over. And uh, so, you know, we're, we're talking about like getting screwed over. The reason why I, I can say that is because I am, in fact, a victim of the, the algorithm. 
the reason for that is if you look at, let's say, X YouTuber, their whole vid- all their videos are top ten herpy derp or diddly d's or mm-hmm. how to build X subclass, then they have content for an incredibly long amount of time because you can do right. the top ten magic items that do X Y and Z. You can do the top ten whatever. But me, uh, I, uh, from the listener, if you haven't checked out my channel, a, a bunch of my series have been covering adventure modules. So my first start off with Tomb of Annihilation, and then I did Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frostbane, Curse of Strahd, uh, you know, the list goes on. And right there, there's a huge issue, because if you watched me for, let's say, Curse of Strahd, as is you have said that you watched me for Chris. Right, right. There is no guaranteed chance that if I put out another video on how to run uh, the next adventure, which was I'm trying to remember the one. No, no, you're absolutely right because that's all I get on my feed is your is your Ravenloft stuff. I didn't get any of your DM stuff till I actually went to your channel mm-hmm. and, and searched it out myself because I know yeah. to do that, but no, people aren't doing that shit. Yeah, and and oh, it was uh, water dragon nice. and and so that that's a that's a great example of it's more than likely as a DM you only run one game a week. That, I think that's just like the statistical average of if you are a DM you run one game a week. Mm-hmm, so right. it's very very unlikely that if you are watching me for Curse of Strahd today that you're also you know if I put out another video on another module let's say water dragon heist that you're going to watch that. And so ultimately, I don't care. Because my channel is doomed anyway, just because I'm not following the trends. But ultimately, YouTube sees that and says, "Oh, hey, you know, it doesn't. You know, you're watching this, you know, video on Tuesday, but you're not watching the new video on Wednesday. That means you're pumping out bad content, and thus my channel gets dinged severely." And so, as you just mentioned, with my most recent video, I made a dumb little video that has nothing to do with my regular scheduled content and thus YouTube is going to punish me some more. Oh, but it's so good. It is. It was so freaking entertaining. I'm going to share it everywhere. Why, you know? thank you. Thank I, you. I, I will. I will then. If, if I can break an algorithm, I, I will try to do that. That is my... That was my goal as an ex-math your, teacher. Your new goal is to get on top of that already. Oh, shit. I'm on that. I'm on that shit for no fun. I'm going to make <laughs> it no fun for fucking... for YouTube. Hell yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That should be your, uh, uh, so. It is so good, Merwin. You got to see it. It's great. All right, I know. I take your word <laughs> um, for it. I take your word for it. So, anyways, let's uh, let's move this on here so we can get into our uh, our actual topics and a couple other things. So, I was going to say uh, it's time for the shit that I forgot. Which, as we spoke about earlier in the show, uh, before the show, I forgot the thing that I hated last week, which is uh, unusual for me because that's normally top of the list of things I'm thinking about, but. Uh, I actually have in here the same thing that No Fun said. So not only is he not allowing you to enjoy your game, he's also stealing stealing my topics from me, so I can't enjoy my own podcast. Good job, buddy. I mean, I got to double up wherever I can. It's pretty. It's it's pretty on brand. So good for you. But uh, no, uh, I've been do I've been hard at work doing editing and layout stuff for to finish up volume two, and then uh, working on um, some of our other projects, writing and editing and whatnot. And that shit is not enjoyable. It's no fun. Uh, and I hate it. Like I like to create stuff. That's that's the easy part. But uh, editing is a fucking nightmare. Like I might have mentioned this before, maybe not in the channel. So uh, I wrote an entire fantasy novel. Like at this point, it's been fifteen years, and it took me a decade to be able to like 
open it up to do editing on it. And I'll do a little bit for like a few weeks and then I'll, I won't touch it for a year. I dislike it that much. So it, it is funny how like, no matter what genre it is that you're doing, editing is, is quite frankly, a humongous tax on the content creator. Yes. And as soon as humanly, physically and fiscally possible, you need to hire an editor because the time that you spend editing your own content is time not spent creating future content. I and like in just the fact that like, you know, you know, talking about create making novels, writing, you know, adventures, making YouTube videos, whatever it is, mm-hmm. the the editing process it gets in the way of success, but you you as an individual, you typically are just wearing so many different hats. You are, you know, having to fulfill so many different jobs. But I'm here to tell you, as soon as humanly possible, get an editor, and once you do, then you can push on to making just awesome content. Hand, hand that shit over the, as soon as you can. Absolutely, <laughs> and, but also you. No matter how good of an editor you are, ultimately you're going to see whatever you create in a different light and it's always better to just have more eyes on anything that you do that's how i feel too i think i think a, a different editor than the, the creator is always best um yeah i know uh, creation yeah i uh, i was trying to discuss some uh, layout and edits with uh with uh an, a writer and doc who has run that per person's module a couple times and doc wouldn't let me get a word in edgewise because he's like no 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 it's perfect and I'm like, I, I'm trying to edit it. Like, leave me alone. He's like, no, no, it's perfect. It's like, no, Doc, well, you are you know, wrong. It's just, it was just, it just needed to go to bed. Just the guy did enough work. And oh, no, absolutely. Gonna, it's good. It was up to the editor now what order to put stuff I in. I know. Really, and it, so. and it lo- I've been doing it, and it looks beautiful. I hate doing good. it, but it looks beautiful. So thank you very much. Great. <laughs> All right. Well, hey. So uh, that's what I forgot from last week. We get a little bit double. We get a little double shit. I hate this week, so I appreciate the time for that. <laughs> but uh, let's get into the week in gaming. I'm going to go first because I didn't get have one. I uh, I had to work. Other people had obligations, and I had no games this week. And I didn't have time to do a play test because I've been editing shit nonstop for like three weeks now. So my week sucked. Thanks, everybody. What about you, Doc? I know you're fired up for yours, man. How'd your week go? Oh man, uh, it was it was an interesting uh, Ravenloft Raven Brew week uh, in Castle Ravenloft, and I, I don't even I'm gonna have to start from the beginning because it's really good. I was saying earlier, I was glad no fun was with us because yeah. man, it, it went horribly tragic. So yeah, start with have, hold on, start at the beginning so I can run and grab a drink really quick because I got cotton mouth going on and I've already heard this man. part. So you start, you right back. <laughs> All right, so so everybody's in in the heart chamber in the tower. And they've climbed up, and um, actually, the one halfling ranger, Corin, he's he's finished the heart off. He's demolished it, but I had the thing explode and like explode glass all over them. So they all they all took major major damage. They're holding on so they don't fall down the pit, and people are falling, and people are getting hurt, and, and it's it's been it's awesome. So two characters. Um, a paladin and a thief um, who had le- one had been killed by a mimic and the other had been killed in a Ravenlaw campaign years ago um, came back as resurrected characters when they arrived in Barovia uh, they met the abbot 
at, uh, after going to the winery and all that sort of stuff going on there. And he gave them back their real souls and their real bodies. And they end up in Castle Ravenloft. So after the heart got shattered, they were separated. One was at the top of the chamber and one was at the bottom of the chamber. I had 14 um, vampire spawn come flying out, um, one from the top entrance and from the bottom entrance, right? And they go right after these two um, characters uh, that are, you know, that are really Strahd brought them back from his land. And, I, you know, I wanted some death. This is our big finale. They're in the castle. We've been playing this, you know, a year and a half. They've been through Forlorn. They've been to all these different places. Now, the the, the paladin gets taken out right away. I mean, the, the vampire's point just wallop him. Okay? The other, uh, the halfling uh, rogue... Uh, kind of gets away, gets some grease on the stairs, everybody's slipping and sliding, vampire spawn are falling, he gets, kind of gets away. Now, meanwhile, we have some players playing multiple characters now at this point. And the same guy playing the halfling is pay, playing a dwarf wizard who's also flying around. Uh, the flying halberds are still attacking him that are up in the top of the tower. Spoils if anybody's out there listening, okay? And now, Corin, I said that halfling ranger ends up back down at the bottom of the tower. Okay? Now, what I don't realize at this point is he's also playing Tomas, a bard who's up at the top of the tower, and he's also playing Dondias, the paladin who just got, you know, killed on the ground. Now, what I also don't realize is that everyone is completely suspicious of Kendrinley or the dwarf wizard who's flying, fighting the halberts. Now, Repeatedly through the campaign, he had the axe uh, way back in the House of Lament, um, Dirtsag's axe, and he had a book of uh, evil deeds when they were in the theater with Juste, and all, all these different things where they think he's going to double cross, you know, the party the whole time for a year and a half. Well, the player playing Corin the Ranger decides now's his opportunity. Everyone's taking so much damage in the heart chamber that he's going to try to take Kendrin Lear out right now. So we're going player versus player in the heart chamber. I have no idea this is going to happen. He fires away at Kendrin Lear. Now, meanwhile, they think Kendrin Lear has made a deal with Strahd and the Amber Temple because he did open the uh, the vault for the gift of the vampire. But Kendrin Lear never accepted the gift. In fact, he was told to kill Corin, and and he won't he won't kill Corin, right? So meanwhile, Corin's killing him. It's like it's getting really intense. So now Strahd asks him. Strahd says, "So do you want the power now, right now, before this guy kills?" He's like, "No, I don't." He's like, "No, I don't. I don't. I don't want the power of the vampire." So, uh, you know, and at this point. The, the whole adventure is, is gone out of control. I'm like, shit, what am I going to fucking do? And, but I love the tension going on and Kendrin Lear is still getting offered the gift, offered the gift, offered the gift. Now the halfling didn't get killed and that was really Strahd's goal was to have these two souls killed. So he switches their places and the halfling falls to his death and Kendrin Lear ends up hidden, uh, wherever the halfling is. Okay. So, so now, 
Corin runs up the stairs because he's like, where's Kendra and Leary? He doesn't see the halfling down at the bottom of the tower. He's like, I got to find this guy now. Oh, shit, he's going to be after me. So now the player, Greg, who plays Kendra and Lear and the halfling is playing another character, Illarath. So now Illarath, you know, they're all buddies. We got a lot of we got a lot of metagaming going on. Right. So he comes after Corrin invisibly tries to slit his throat as they get up to the top of the tower. He f- die rolls crap. Right. Kent does like five hit points of damage. Corrin turns around. He wants to shoot arrows. I'm like, you can't. You're at close range. He's like, I got a feet. I'm like, no, you don't got no feet. Nothing. This guy tried to stab you. We're all like, ah. So finally, I just have four more vampire spawn come out of the top entranceway and just take the two of them off the top 180 feet and they plummet to the death. All four are dead. That's the end. That was our conclusion. Uh, and everyone was just in shock. The other players playing were in shock. The players who were, you know, who thought they were going to kill Kendra and Lear were in shock. It was no fun, and it was great. I loved it. Awesome. That was it. For so everybody rolled new characters. <laughs> no, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The guys that lost all their characters... One still has the bard at the top of the stairs. The other one has Kendra and Lear now, the dwarf wizard who's in hiding, who they still think is going to double-cross them. Like, we're at, like, such a tension point, they've got to figure out what they're going to do next. It's very intense. Um, I don't think they're going to survive, uh, even to make it to Strahd is my feeling, but so be it. I mean, they did it to themselves. I mean, is there a better way for a Ravenloft campaign to end than the party murders each other on the steps to, th- to uh, Strahd's Strahd's like audience chamber. I mean, come on. Yeah, they. Yeah, it's great. This is this is going better than I could have ever planned. And then and then the the one person said, you know, Corin, this halfling. He's also Vistani. Someone's like, it seems like he's the one possessed by Strahd. And you know what? I I didn't try it at all, but it does. It seems like he is totally possessed with killing this other guy and just letting it go. It's been awesome. It's been completely awesome. So thank you. I'm. I, I, I've been so excited to tell that story today. <laughs> um, so, like, and like watching all your videos and prepping, Jesus, I couldn't have never thought any of that was even going to happen. And they haven't even been through, I'm going to say, a fourth of the tower yet. I mean, like, they, there's never, like, it's just unrealistic for a group to go through the whole castle. The castle is just massive. It, it, there's just so much yeah, going it's, on. It's, so many places. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's been incredible. It's been an incredible adventure though. So, and, and I have to thank you because your insights uh, have really helped me, uh, especially with the verticality and the stairs and where different things connect and everything. If I hadn't seen the different math map aspects, as you said, of get everything, look at everything. I would have really been. It's gone very well because of that. I have to say. So hats off. Or you. Why? Thank off. you. Thank you. Yeah, the, the original authors of that adventure, uh, they would run it on Halloween. Like it, it used to always be a one shot because you know back for original D anD D was just uh, or not original. Right. D&D, but it was. Uh, it was just uh, Isaac's Ravenloft or any assassins anyway, and. You know, you can run that adventure multiple times, which I have. I've ran it multiple times for the same people, and they are going to find something new every single time because there's just so much going on. 
And especially if you, you know, change things up in regards of where you place the magic items and where straw right, is right. in the grand finale, it's going to be a different experience. Even though you're traversing the same spooky castle, it is spooky in different ways. It's great. It's great. Yeah. Uh, I realized Doc didn't start the podcast with me to hear me talk or to have conversations. He did it to stalk all of his favorite YouTubers about Ravenloft stuff. That's what he does. <laughs> Every week, he's like, hey, I got these guys. I've been emailing them like, endlessly, so I apologize if he has stalked you for months about this. Well, I'm sure that he uh, has. The, the secret is is the only reason people become famous is because they want to interact with other famous people. Like, I'll do what it is. And, and so that used to be celebrities wanted to be other celebrities, but now it's, oh, as a YouTuber, I, I, I want to meet that YouTuber. How do I, how do, I do that, you know? Yeah, no, we, I have to say, and no fun, no fun was very cool because I emailed him. He's like, yeah, sure. That's all. That's all. Oh, as a, sure. as opposed to other uh, well-known YouTubers that we won't mention who are too cool to talk to us. Well, well, no fun could do a calendar, and he could dress up like an orc, and he could paint himself green. I mean, I'll like, tell you what, my, my like, only orcs account is going to sell a hell of a lot more or, than orcs. Uh, my YouTube. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, so no fun. You are a busy guy. You pump out content. You you we talk about all the games and things that you've run. So, do you still have like a home game with friends that you do, or is it all strictly I do, business? I do. Uh, I, I do. I do. So I have. I have right now. I've got uh, two games. I, uh, the two home games, I should say. One of which is using the system Mothership, which is sci-fi horror. Think uh, Alien. And I'm running another game, uh, which is Dungeon Crawl Cla- using Dungeon Crawl Classics, which is Gonzo Wacky Magic. And in addition to that, I also run a bunch of one-shots and whatever else for my community from time to time, which I actually just did for this last week. Uh, so I've been, uh, I've been relatively busy, busy with my, uh, my, my gaming, as it were. So do you got a highlight I've from this week in gaming, though? Crawl a Crawl. big story or something yeah. crazy that happened? Alrighty, so uh, for the, the the zeroth level one shots that I ran, basically zeroth level meaning that uh, they're all peasants. I give basically everyone a bunch of peasants. They're all losers. They're nobodies. They're not heroes. They're not adventurers. They're literally peasants going off on some fool's errand of a mission. I love those, and, by the way. Absolutely, and I I decided, hey, you know, with Wizard of the Coast acting like you know a clown recently, I'm going to run a bunch of clown games to add to the clown fiesta. So I ran Carnival of the Damned, which is a zeroth level uh, adventure, and it's all about peasants going into a carnival, uh, and every single attraction is out there trying to kill them. Uh, my most favorite one, uh, mind you, in these adventures, I give each of the player char- players four PCs because inevitably they're going to get wiped by the end. Right, right. I, that's what and, I like about Dungeon Crawl Classics. This sounds like a great game. I can't wait to play. Oh, Try it. it it's fantastic. And uh, so for one of these is, uh, mind you, they, they, the, this carnival has got like 30 plus attractions, you know, a whole bunch of fun things going on. Well, my, my most favorite is uh, the Strongman game. So they, they're wandering in the mist, and then all of a sudden they see a strongman game in front of them, and right next to the strongman game, there's a box, and the box is clearly calling out for people to play the strongman game. And so inevitably, players are like, oh yeah, my, my peasant can totally do that, right? And they hit the strongman uh, machine, and it, it goes all the way up, uh, doesn't hit the bell, 
and all of a sudden the person that hit it and failed teleports to the top of it and their head is now where the bell is. At the same time, everyone else all of a sudden hears a rhythmic music and feels the need to try that strongman game again. <laughs> so this goes on for a little bit. And eventually, wouldn't you know, uh, that, that poor guy gets teleported up and one of the players like, oh, yeah, my player's next in line. And boom, hits it. And, of course, the peasant's head goes splat. <laughs> <laughs> But, hey, there's a consolation prize, at least. If you hit the bell, or in this case, the peasant's head, then you get a prize out of the box. So, <laughs> so a no-fun carnival. Oh, it, it's fantastic. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, the last run I did, I, I had three players. Each got four PCs. Uh, we lost three, uh, four, five, six, seven... So yeah, out of the out of the four eight out of the twelve starting PCs, only six survived. Sounds about right. That's good. We uh, I did a charity game uh, several months ago, and that was the idea behind it was uh, an old school you know funhouse dungeon full of murder, where the mm-hmm. spectators, people that weren't in the game, um, could pay money to have things happen to in the game, trying to kill off the PCs so that there was a spot open for them to then sit down and play in the game. Classic. It was there was fuckery abound, but my favorite my favorite moment from that is right in the beginning. I'm like, well, if I'm going to start this off, I need to send a message. So the game starts in uh, you know in a little homage to the movie Saw. So the players wake up, no gear, they're harnessed into this chain that goes into the wall behind them, uh, and then across the way there's another person chained in a little in a little cell, and then as if you move forward, it pulls them back. Then once they go back a certain distance, all like the you know the spinning gears and the spikes come out and start killing the person, but it doesn't kill them right away. You got to hold them there for a couple of rounds, and your gear is just out of reach, <laughs> so you have to kill somebody to get to your stuff. And then I, I, I had all the classics, so like the gear sits on top of these little grates, right? It's just it's you can get to it if you drag the person across from you into the, into the spikes. But the first person to actually do that, they hear the other person scream and yell as they get ground up. They go to grab their stuff, and then the gates, the gates give out, and everything falls down another 10 feet, so now they can't get to it without holding the person there for a couple of rounds. Um, all, you know, so no, no getting out of it. And, uh, yeah, so the, uh, we managed to kill half, the, half, half of the players in the first, like, five minutes. But my favorite moment was, the, uh, was one, of my, one of the newer players that I had picked up uh, a couple of years before this, a very nice girl, uh, you know, like runs games and, and, you know, teaches kids how to play. And she's, she's the sweetest person on the planet. She, she looks she, at one point at the, she's doing this and she's like, well, I'm going to, okay. She's like, I'm going to pull him forward. I'm like, all right, you hear him get sucked into the gears. He starts screaming. What are you going to do? She's like, oh, I'm just going to stand here. Like, <laughs> you, you, you going to go further forward? She's like, no, you're going you're to back up. She's like, no, it's up to him if he wants to live or die. You know, I'll let him. <laughs> like, okay, okay. But it was a, it was a good time. Uh, it was a good time. Any other uh, any other highlights from your week? There, you got um. Uh, so let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Um. Well, another one of my favorites of the carnival ride is uh, there is a love tunnel, a tunnel of love, and. <laughs> 
so basically how, how I ran this adventure was uh, you get to control two PCs at the same time. And when the players show up, there's these boats. And there's enough boats for every single PC, but the boats can be doubled up. So it's up to you whether you want to, you know, go in by ones or as a couple. And so inevitably people split up. People are like, oh, you know, I'll have my group, you know, be together. And then the person's like, oh, you know, I'll have my right individually. So the tunnel of love goes forward and then it splits into two. The, the people that are as a couple go one way. The, the individual singles go the other way. And what ends up happening is the couples that go together, all of a sudden they get attacked by cherubs. And if the, the cherubs shoot little arrows at you, and if you get hit by an arrow, you get overcome with a fit of a jealousy and rage and feel the need to kill the person you're with. <laughs> and if you go by yourself, then a zombie climbs out of the water and says, give me some sugar, baby. And, <laughs> and so basically, like, no matter which way you go, you, you, you're dealing with some terrible messed up stuff. But, it's uh, straight you know, out of uh, Army of Darkness. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Honey, you got ugly real quick. I love, you know? I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Army of Darkness is, is fantastic. Oh, but, one of the most uh, horrible ones ever. But, uh, yeah, the last time I ran that, uh, I had I had one person uh, kill the other person out of jealousy, and then another one, uh, the zombie, you know, bit the person's face off for some love speeches, <laughs> you know? So it... It's it's always just a toss up of who's gonna live, who's gonna die, and and just obviously just it's it, it's so great because so many of my players that I run for in my community they've played all you know five e for most of their you know D and career, and they're used to playing heroes, and right, it's, right. it's so much of a different game when you are not playing a hero. You're obviously sitting down playing a tabletop role playing game, but you're not a hero. You're an adventurer, or you're a peasant, or you're whatever, right? I think that's the, that's like the last YouTube video I just watched of yours. You were talking about you were talking about that. Uh, I think it was I forget what the title was, but again, that's that's a different video for you. So that that hits you again for the for the algorithm. But again, it was a really good video. Um, talking about the death in the game and how important it is. I, I, I have to agree with you. Um, like I said, in my game this week, definitely definitely put the exclamation point on it. Um, death, death works. And, and I'm glad to hear the new school gamers appreciating the old school uh, death uh, low. low I, and then I'm even more excited to hear about your game not using hit points and it affects your abilities. That's That's brilliant. That, that yeah. take, come right back to that. That's great. So yeah. So in regards to my my game system, where uh, the stats are the HP, ultimately I sat down and I I contemplated this. I meditated. I went on a journey across the realms, and I just contemplated what does Constitution do? And me personally, I hate Constitution as a score, right? Because Strength, oh, hey, I'm a badass. I get to wield the biggest weapons. I get to wear the heaviest of armors. Oh, dexterity, I get to nimbly dodge around. Oh, hey, charisma, I get to manipulate people. Intelligence, I get to think. You know, wisdom, I get to, you know, perceive. Constitution is, oh, I get to maybe take one more hit. Sometimes. (laughs) 
I can yeah. survive. I can survive if I'm dead. It, it like, I, I, constitution is just, it, it's not an active skill. In a, I mean, like, health can be perceived as an active skill because you can use health as a resource, I guess, but most of the time, con is just, I maybe take one more hit than the person that has a little bit less con than me. Well, and, which, mathematically, is, it's it's not the, it's, it's, it's rarely even that much. It, it, it's it's just not fun, right? Like it, it just doesn't it doesn't add anything to game. In fact, well, it's not so fun. Point, shouldn't that be your favorite stat? Well, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> More so to the point, Constitution in fact takes away from the game in a sense because I, I've talked to a lot of people about this, and I actually put up a poll about this uh, some recently. There are a ton of players who feel absolutely compelled to put points in their Constitution. So much so to the point where. If they don't put points in their con, they feel bad. And you shouldn't feel bad about any one of the stats being down because they all should be doing something actively for you. And it shouldn't be to the point where you need, air quote, need to have one be decent. And like It's like a weird sort of FOMO of like, oh, every single time I'm not pumping up my con, I've got less health, you know, and... It, it it sucks that that is there, and I'm I'm thinking that I'll get rid of that weird sense of FOMO if I just get rid of Con as a stat because I hate Con. Right, right, fair enough. That makes sense. Uh, I have the I have a similar uh, argument about dexterity being too good of a stat. Well, dexterity is too good of a stat in five E in particular. Uh, it, dexterity, you know, going back to original D anD D, is perfectly fine. It's just in five E. The problem isn't dexterity is good. The problem is strength is bad. Yeah, yeah. And this strength is the athletics, athletics versus acrobatics and, and people being flip-floppy with it instead of being uh, determinate with it. You can't, do, you can't use the same thing for both. And, and ultimately, so like if you look at the damage, for example, with strength, you can get a D12, 2D6, and a D10. With dexterity, you can get a D8, which, oh no, you're losing two damage. Oh no. On the AC front, okay, you can wear plate armor, or you can just wear stud leather, and it's pretty much the same thing, right? It's like... And and, and, the most damning of all is the overwhelming majority of tables do not incorporate any sort of function in regards of carry capacity. And to that degree, if your game is Strength like like needs carry capacity and strength is obviously awesome, but of course the overall majority of games do not have do not have that. No. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a kind of thing that gets hand waved. It's not a, not important enough to everybody to keep track of. And no, I'm I'm with you though. There's um some there's, there's there are definitely some duds in the system and hit points. My uh, my gripe against them is the you get in this you get in the scenario where uh, especially in five e with their whole resting thing. So you have. You know, you get attacked by a dragon, but you fly around, you hit you with claws and tails and all this all this trauma, and you, like, take a nap and you're golden. It's like, that's not good. Yes, and ultimately, that's another... I, 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 it's hard to say failing, because the game was intended this way, but the game was designed for you to have an epic, awesome, mega, super adventure movie in yeah. a day. The, the game was designed to be this pulp action, awesome, epic, Conan... You know, you show up to the table and you have a cool movie. But obviously a lot of people don't want that, right? A lot of people want a game where you have a semblance of, oh, hey, I, the dragon breathed fire on me. I went down to zero HP. 
like, what am I going to look like tomorrow? Mm-hmm. But 5e does not have that. 5e has, you take a little nappy new, you're Gucci. Yep. And, uh, you know, there's obviously, there's some ways you can mitigate that in regards of, oh, you can incorporate short rest, eight hours, long rest of the week. I've, I've ran it that way. Uh, you can run it where you lingering injuries. You can run it where, you know, hit dice. You, you only get, like, that's your long rest now. There's, there's a lot of ways you can do it, of course. But ultimately, 5e needs you to push your players to the extreme in a single day. And then after that, it's worthless. Like, <laughs> they, you know. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of, of finding reasons why they can't get a long rest in and just keep going at them. And it's funny too because the game also, once again, it tries to push against that. You have things like Lehman's Tiny Hut where you pop that in a dungeon. The only way your DM breaks that is because the DM is air quote, you know, being mean to you, right? Yeah, and you you tumble from the bottom. Exactly. Which is exactly where I am. They're setting one up right now at the top of the tower, which I'm going to just rip the shit out of that thing. It ain't staying together. There's no way. And I promise you, like, maybe maybe your players are cool with it, but I promise you the overwhelming majority of players would say that is an antagonistic style of play. Oh, they're going to be yeah. really they're going to be really mad at me, but I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I just can't help it. And so, like, when you, when you like, you know, let's say com- let's compare editions of D and D here. If you look at first edition D and D, you got back one D maybe three of HP back every right. single day, and. Well, what happened is once you got a fighter to relatively high bounds into the whopping 20 HP category, woof, watch <laughs> out. Then when you, when you get down to like one HP, you're, you're back in town and you're chilling there for like a long time. And that's, that's part of the core gameplay loop. 5e has removed a humongous I have to, gameplay loop. I have to, I have to agree with you on that. I, I, I guess it was about 2.5 was out. And I had moved to Philadelphia, and I was teaching friends how to play, and I just broke out the the first edition rules. And you're absolutely right, because you said, when you said you sit down at the table, you play an epic in one day, because if you do get hurt, you say, okay, you guys got to go back and hang out for three weeks or or whatever. And that that makes much more of a story, and 5e is not that way at all. It's day to day, next day, next day, next day, next day. You're so right. Um, I think I think my old school friends we kind of keep that in the back of our minds and we still play it that way, but I can see how uh, it does it. Five E is a lot more uh, quicker time wise, and that rest thing sucks. Yeah, um, you know, like I said, I, I've ran Five E where it's short as eight hours, long rest is a week, and uh, that basically does change the tempo and pace of the game for sure. Uh, something also very, very important about that rest system is it, depending on how many encounters you get in a day, will determine how good a class is. So the, 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 the system recommends that you get into six to eight encounters in a day. In well, that's the, the that's madness, day. by the way. <laughs> and ultimately, if you, then people don't do that, right? People run one to two, maybe three encounters in a day. And if you look at the stats, look at the math behind it all, a whole bunch of classes suffer for that. And also, very importantly, a whole bunch of classes just outperform because of that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, looking at the classic fighter versus wizard, the fighter is the marathon man. That guy is supposed to continue adventuring all day, every day. He can swing a sword indefinitely and just be guaranteed to do awesome stuff. 
He gets the majority of his actions back on a short rest. And also, very importantly, when it comes to health, he has the second wind, which means that he can indefinitely, so long as you keep on getting short rest, keep getting your health back. But the problem is with the fighter is that while he's a marathon man, he's not a sprinter by any means. Let's say, for example, at fifth level fighter, if you activate your action surge, you swing your sword twice, you get to do 4d6 points of damage to a single person. Awesome. Guess what? The wizard could cast fireball, do 86 points of damage to three people, and you're not catching up to that. Right. The wizard right. sprints. But yep. then conversely, you know, go back to that thing there. If you do 10 encounters in a day, eventually the wizard's DPS drops off significantly. <laughs> they use a spell slot or two, they're down to their cantrips. Their cantrip sucks compared to the fighter who's continuing to be awesome. Right, still pulling out that sword well, and it, that I same mean, hit point damage. It, no, but it, here's the thing, though. It doesn't, though, because the, the cantrips scale up. The cantrips scale up, but uh, very, very importantly is, uh, one, you only get the one shot with it, but two, your HP does not. Right, like the wizard over over the ten encounters, that wizard's HP is going to keep on plummeting down. The fighter, he can keep on healing. Right. Well, but no, I mean not if the well, if the fighter's doing his job, the wizard doesn't get hit. You get to stay back at range and launch, uh, you know, three D fucking eight fire bolts all day long. Um, it's actually three D ten. Yo, so it's even worse. <laughs> Thanks. Exactly right, but um, but so so ultimately, like depending on depending on how many encounters you get into a day, the wizard just does that much better, right? Yeah, and, and then you like looking at all the other classes in regards of oh, the warlock they get to pop up the two spell slots, they're good. The paladin, oh, the, the paladin's a great example compared to the fighter. The paladin is a way better fighter in the beginning of the day, but then once they get less spell slots and less like abilities, then the fighter is better. But if you only run two encounters in a day, then the Paladin's way better. Yeah. No, and, and ultimately, that's something that I want to tackle in regards with my system because I don't want there to be the whole, you know, you need to play this class because why would you play this class at this DM's table when you they only run one encounter a day kind of thing. And also, very importantly, is that I want to get rid of the whole rest system in regards of you take a little nappy new and then you're Gucci. Cause I find that boring. <laughs> well, I just, I was just looking at, um, we're going to be playing mask of the red death and someone Ooh. wrote, someone wrote an adaption for five E. Um, and, and looking at that rule set, it's interesting because they've set up where you pick your class on. Like if you're a, like a sleuth or you want to be like the socialite, sort of like your position in the party. And then your subclass are like your skills, like maybe you're a musician and you're a thief. And then you add those things in later. So it's kind of interesting. And then it even says that you can change your roles, your class, during the adventure. Because someone else may become the leader. Someone else may become... I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how this works. Um, very different than anything I've seen before, uh, too. So I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I mean, when Mask of the Red Death came out, oh, those so many years ago, before I was born, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that shook up the game system entirely because that was for D&D, but it was more modern. Right, and, right. And then, and you could use everything in D&D, which had to be reality-based, which was kind of cool. Um, and then the same thing with you were talking about the timing. Um, I think it was if a spell was one if it was one minute, it was now one hour, and everything was multiplied um, 
it was really interesting how they had set it up then. And and I'm very intrigued looking at this rule set that someone put together for 5e2. It's kind of cool. I love a horror game, and that's why I want to try Dungeon Crawl Classics soon, too. Dungeon Crawl Classics, what I'll say to that is uh, I, I run it all the time, and it is absolutely horrifying because, once again, uh, you are, you start off, like, you always traditionally start off the game at that zeroth level death funnel. Uh, but even when you do transition to the adventuring mode where you can pick up the classes and the spells and whatnot, the game is ultimately scary because, one, spells are a nightmare. When you when someone casts a spell, you do not know what's going to happen. Right. You know, right. Lo- looking back to the classic fireball example in D and D, you know, spells are science. You know exactly what they're going to do. But in DCC, they are truly magical in regards of when you cast something. You know, if when you cast the fireball, it could do you know two d six damage, or you could summon a meteor that strikes like a mile away and does thirty d six damage. Right. In and so, one, the, the magic is terrifying in that game. But two, uh, if you actually pick up the pre-written adventures that they have, which they've got a hundred of at this point, and they're all incredibly well done, well illustrated, a lot of them show off a lot of great scenes of horror in regards of not just necessarily like things of like, oh, you know, scary monster, but some of them have body horror, some of them have psychological horror. So yeah, whichever way you want to go with it, yeah. And, and there's a lot of great ways to go. And... I think DCC is great with that in regards of just presenting a strange and weird magical world that you're just adventuring into and trying to survive. But I will say if you're into horror, then uh, there's also plenty of other awesome tabletop oh, yeah. playing games called Cthulhu, Mothership. Yep. Um, I mean, those are the top two off the top of my head, but... <laughs> oh, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of variety, a lot of options. Um, for sure yeah it's hard to keep all that stuff in your head in fact my head is splitting at this moment uh which makes me think it's time for a visit to the doctor's office doc what do you got Uh, for us well today uh for magical q a i thought we would talk about the voodoo doll since no fun was with us and uh i was just watching a little talking about Piddlewick. They haven't met Piddlewick yet. Another really Ravenloft Voodoo. thing. I should have known. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not really a Ravenloft thing. I just thought we would talk about it, and I, and I thought I would research it and see what you guys knew about it, and I was actually quite surprised what I found out. So what do you guys know about Voodoo Dolls? Anything particular? Uh, so I know that Voodoo Dolls, obviously, in our modern, in, when I say modern, I'm going to say like the last, let's say, 60 years of media. Voodoo Dolls right. are obviously seen as mystical, macabre, and also very poorly dark. But I know that's not necessarily the true history of, of things of that nature. Like, yeah, I, I know that plenty of, of thing, things of the mystique have right, uh, right. You know, some positive connotations as well. But obviously... You know, we just think of the voodoo doll of you hold it up and then you stab it in the back of the the pin needle, right? Yeah, they can right, feel right. It. exactly, exactly. Well, I, Anything, I would, Merwin? Yeah, no, I, saying, I believe the uh, the origins go back to the the idea of an effigy of something, uh, and then you know that would be required for you know whatever the rite or ritual was, but it you know it was uh, you know constructed of something from the person. And they, you know, and then that would give you the idea of giving you power over them, kind of an extension of the uh, 
of the class speaking of the D&D stuff, the classic uh, you know idea if you got a, a demon or a devil's true name, you had power over it. So right, the, right. the voodoo doll would be made of you know the strands of hair from the person, and that would give the possessor of a doll power over it. But uh, beyond that, and then you know, like I said, the uh, the mainstream media voodoo kind of you know movie lore and whatnot, I don't know a whole lot about them. All right, so so you guys are pretty you guys are pretty much our target. Um, I think it you know goes into African spiritualism right away. Um, but the one thing we talk about the American culture voodoo doll first, um, and the discussion with that sewed up, stitched up cloth doll, you know, with the crisscross eyes and the pins and needles. Um, what they actually believe is that sometime, probably during colonial times, someone was trying to use a voodoo type ritual, didn't have the right materials and made it with cloth or whatever. And then somehow this, because it had gotten to the new world, it, it, it sort of sprung into the occult and then it got targeted because it was evil and then got reversed again during that whole, we talk about after um, Civil War period, when everyone was looking at the occult, um, they became really highly popular again um, and of course, American culture, but it was really sort of a made-up American cultural thing. Um, the actual voodoo dolls themselves, um, and like No Fun said, uh, when you look at African spiritualism, they talk about in your life, in reality, really great things happen to you and really horrible, evil things happen to you. And you cannot alter them or change them whatsoever. Um, you can use tools to try to, you know, get through them better or whatnot. And that's where most of their, uh, intention and voodoo uh, rituals come from. They've sort of been stretched on to others and they do talk. And, and I'll talk about that a little bit more, but I think the, the most important thing is the actual African voodoo figures were made of wood. And the bottoms were made as spikes, and the tops uh, were carved as faces of that person or that effigy. Um, and then what they do is they would take rope or string, and this is what I really find was really the cool part. They bind string around the um, spike or these this wooden spike that they've made with the head on one side and the spike on the other. And that's where we get the term binding a spell, right? When you bind a spell, they would repeat a chant over and over again as they bind this rope around this spike. And then at a certain point when they've wound the rope up and, and they feel complete, they spike it into the ground, into the earth, as to, you know, communicate the power into the land. So it's really intriguing. And, and they would do this for all kinds of things, like calling forth rain for the farmer, like the farmer wants rain. So he'd make an effigy of himself to call forth rain from the earth and bind the earth to call forth rain for himself. Um, and then... There is, um, in their spiritualism, they do have where you use a certain type of wood and you use a certain type of uh, remnants of a person. You can curse a person. But it's like really, really one of those spiritualistic things where 
I, like a ritual in D&D where it has to go through this whole thing. You can't just make a doll and stick pins in it and be done with it. You know, put somebody's hair in there and it's done. Um, so I think that's that's really cool. I, and, and that whole connection to binding um, was really something I found more interesting. And all of their figurines are wood, not cloth. Um, and then it led me to another, I always say it always leads you to another rabbit hole. And they were talking about African religions and the connection to quantum physics and quantum entanglements. That's a it's a pretty hard left there. Uh, what it? Okay. No, I didn't go. Through, I did not go down that left turn yet. You know, I told you I always I always get to a point where I have to say, "Hang on, I got to yeah, stop yeah, you gotta, right you gotta here." The brakes, I guess. Yeah, I got to stop right well, here. Uh, and see. Well, here, since you mentioned that, I will. I'll throw this out there. It's um, there. I heard this a while ago. Um, the geometric patterns and things that you see, uh, all of the magic that's represent, represented in the Doctor Strange movie, uh, is apparently oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it has some sort of basis in that same kind of like quantum physics. The idea of uh, light refracting and and being manipulated to do stuff. It's uh, I. Do, am not close to smart enough or know it well enough to really do it justice by reciting it. Just, uh, just to bring, it, but just wanted to bring it up. Like that was the thing. They, um, there's a lot of. I think really I think, no, I think what stuff. they're using. I think what they're using is the archaic symbols. Like when he does like time, and those symbols are appearing around his hand. They're using all those time symbols and things i think is what is what we're talking about here it was really cool though yeah. well there's the there but there's there is some connection to like quantum physics from that as well it's it, right. it's a youtube video it's pretty fascinating but from uh from a game standpoint uh, or from a historical standpoint i was thinking about um like how you know i know the romans used to have little house shrines so they'd have house gods they have like a little, a little kind of like, oh, yeah, kind of like, kind of like, kind of like, like, like a nativity, right? Yeah. And you, you know, and you, you know, you'd carve the the effigy. You'd, you'd have your Zeus. You'd have you put your Zeus in, and if you yeah, needed, yeah, yeah. you needed Nefertiti to come. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. wrong, 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 wrong thing. No, 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 no. But it's oh no. But I'm I'm wondering if there's uh, if there's a deeper and older connection to the whole thing of, of like you said having that, uh, you know the you know the the item. Um, connecting you know being the conduit to get that kind of power uh so as far as effigies go i did use this in a game actually so um the uh i have a uh, slightly different take on uh the like the cosmology or cosmology i think that's right but uh the the way the divine works uh short version of it because i talk a lot is the idea that there's a a loop of energy that flows from the god into the mortal world and then back to the god so they generate it but also feed off it in particular they feed off the um the uh, manipulation of the of the raw energy that God produces once it passes through a mortal. So, uh, the God of Murder, for example, uh, Nexamunus, you know the uh, the you know puts out this energy that's in the world, this you know dark negative energy, uh, and then you know when someone commits a murder, that energy is altered in some way, and then that's what the God feeds on. So it's kind of like a feedback loop, uh, but. The uh, you know I have I have this idea that there's you know the energies energies suffuse the world and depending on where you're at and whatnot there's different influences that can kind of come over a player so if you're in a dark temple there's obviously a stronger influence of that kind of energy but to get around that the deities and their faithful can carve effigies of them and that binds the deity's energy to that object okay. and, and it allow and then it allows for other kind of manipulation so. 
in the game, they find a small effigy of uh, of the um, the the deceiver goddess, and one of the players picks it up because it looks like it's valuable and keeps it with him. And that, I, and for the rest of the game, he got all of the special attention. The you could feel the hand on the shoulder, the whisper in the ear. You know, go ahead, <laughs> kill him, do it now. <laughs> You're like, why am I hearing that? Like, I don't know, dude. I don't know what's going on. They could not figure out what the source was. So eventually they uh, they gave it to the Warforged, who is soulless. They're like, here, you have this shit. He can't mess with you too much. <laughs> but So I've used that before, but I like, the, I like that uh, that aspect of it. I do think that uh, binding power to things makes a lot of sense. And anything that you're going to do to increase the um, content to make something happen is way cooler. Like just finding the book and doing the ritual to, to win a thing. That's not fun, but having to find the items and craft them and get the ingredients and components and go through all that stuff. That's interesting. Yeah. That's what I was thinking about. You know, if, if they had directions to make one of these things, they had to make it, get the, get the right piece of wood, then they had to have it carved and then they'd have to bind it. The other thing I think is kind of neat about it too is, there's sort of like a uh, a skill check kind of in there somewhere where they got to do this wrapping right or quick. Maybe there's a timer thing. They got to get they they've got to get it bound thirty times at a certain time because they're in a combat situation. I don't know. I just think it's just it's kind of something to spice up a game a little bit. Um, I was thinking. Well, what about you, No Fun? You seem like the kind of DM that would you know steal a lock of the player's hair, bind it into a demon doll, and then torment them endlessly with it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah. and I've done something similar to that, mind you. Uh, one of my more favorites has been uh, I had a hag uh, make a clone of someone. And uh, the, the hag basically stole a piece of this paladin and then started uh, using this clone for nefarious purposes. Uh, in regards of things specifically in regards of, like, you know, a voodoo doll, I have not gotten that to, to the table yet, but I am incorporating that in my game. Uh, basically, I, I want there to be, once again, I, I want magic to be weird in regards of, I, I don't want it to be an exact science. So I, I don't know if I'm going to lean down the road of, you need to do exactly 30 wrappings in 30 seconds or whatever. But I, I want there to be something in regards of, I want there to be magic that the players have accessible. And then mm-hmm. I want there to be magic that is inaccessible to the players, like just forever, like, and 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 I, I think that's something really important is, well, yeah, I was just talking about this earlier, but I, I don't want magic to be a science. I don't want magic to be known. I well, want magic to truly be unknown. And, and and so for there to be like you know, let's say you know, hags out there in the wild that can cast these sorts of you know binding magics or you know enact these certain rituals that the players will never be able to do, I, I think that's dope. You know, I was wondering, I don't know if there was a rule in 1E or 2E or if it ever said it, but I always feel like as a DM, I always, I always ruled over spells and spells were not as written, that it was up to the DM to interpret how they fit into the situation. Or is that just me interpreting that way? I I don't know, but I I feel like we still kind of play that way, but you really do need to break spells out of being the same thing over and over again. Maybe even at session zero, just let your players know too. Yeah, I, def- I definitely let people uh, uh, if they come up with a creative uh, use for something, I'm, I'm usually pretty lenient about uh, if they can justify it, I'm, I'm all for it. But I have an idea. So uh, with what you were saying, no fun about 
about having it be mysterious and magic be magical, you know, maybe, maybe putting elements in there that, uh, you need to find and, you know, and I, I, I've had versions of this in a bunch of different rules I've used, um, but magic isn't, isn't, you know, you don't just get the free spells. You have to find various components of it. So some sort of right ritual, whatever, um, to project energy, something to conjure fire, something to shape it, whatever, whatever system you want to go get, however deep you want to get down the rabbit hole. But wouldn't it be interesting to have elements of spells that you required to use that the player and the character in the game and the player outside of it have to figure out some sort of puzzle or, you know, go through vague, you know, vague notes of some mad wizard to, to get this power, but they don't know exactly what to do. So take the wrapping, right? So instead of, you know, instead of, instead of the instructions being, oh, you must wrap it 13 times, it gives some archaic, pu- essentially puzzle, for the player to figure out. And then when it comes time to use it, they don't actually know what the right number is. Now, you know what the wrong numbers are and what, and things are going to happen badly if they, if they overwind it or underwind it. Um, you have that information, but the player and their character never get it until they stumble on it correctly. And the best part is when that happens, it is so much more rewarding. So much Mm -hmm. more. It, like if let's say like you give out this info like in one session it takes them three sessions over the course of those three sessions they're experimenting and then they're doing other stuff on the side then they finally get it versus if you were just said oh hey here's your new spell and you just you know slipped it to them like that instant gratification goes so quickly but I promise you that player that learns okay I got to wrap this exactly thirteen times for the rest of the however long you're playing. They're going to be like, oh, the reason I have this spell is because I did it. Mm-hmm. I'm awesome. It feels so good. And yeah. like, it, like it's going to have a story to it. It, it. That's what I love about games in regards of, you know, this is usually typically in regards to magical items. If you give your player as a magical item or there's a magical item shop or whatever, you typically don't think about it too hard. But if there's like, oh, hey, you know, we got this magical item when we dove into the blue fire and fought the deity and then so-and-so sacrificed their life and transformed into the fiery blade, that's got a story behind it. And you're right. going to remember that forever and all the time. And, and so, like, to what you're saying there, you know, like, having a story tied behind the magic earned is fan-freaking-tastic. It's one of the reasons why uh, I got – oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you were also mentioning about magic being, you know, like a scary component to it. I think I think when they got into wild magic, I think there's a scary component to wild magic sometimes in there, like a deck of many things, like you don't know what's going to happen next. That's the scary part of magic that I think it kind of loses. Um, and not that I want it to be like jackpot magic with like uh, the wizard on the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon where he's like just pulling like random stuff out of his hat would make you know silly but um, Merwin likes that guy Did you pick on Presto I see you like Presto don't you alright but I'm saying like I think there's a part of magic too that gets that's gone in the game that I always try to put into my campaign whenever I run a campaign that magic is the power um it's kind of interesting to think about it that way too. Sorry. Yeah. No. No. And I mean, again, like, having a like, I always, I always, and my my buddies, I, I've uh, long time arguments about this, but I remember reading 
in every fantasy source I got, every novel, every every story about the, you know, magic was hard to control. It was a danger to the user. There was some cost or tax to it, you know. And then you get into the game, and it's like, no, you just do it however many times a day for free. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, and you're there's, there's, there's no, yeah, there's no, there's no options. And like I said, like, I I have a lot of alternate systems where, you know, I like the idea of having a gating mechanism and having something where you have to make an active choice about how far you're going to push it. And maybe it goes well, maybe it goes bad. Uh, I don't like, I don't know that I would be happy with a system where the results were always just random because that that I think goes too far because then, well, then you get into a, yeah, you get into, a, you get into a scenario where you're, you're you know you're not able to fulfill your your individual kind of fantasy about it you know and you might be a detriment more than a benefit and there, there's some problems with that but but certainly having there be things that are the you know the Ice player Halo has to the, the, well, the player Halo. has to, the things that the player has to do and know and control and then weigh the risk factor of it like I could do this like you said originally you know the old thing where you know maybe it throws a meteor uh, a mile away and squishes a village or maybe it throws a a first level firebolt for two damage you know you you know the it's, there should be some system where the player through their character has to make choices that are meaningful to and try to they're trying to and they're certainly trying to shape the result they want and maybe they get it but maybe they don't well yeah so for dungeon crawl classics for example uh you typically roll a d20 and then this will be plus your caster level it'll be plus your modifier if you're a wizard it'll be your intelligence but you can do something called spell burn where you physically sacrifice your physical stats and for every stat you sacrifice you can add to the roll and so that right there, you can be like, okay, I'm going to guarantee that I get a high score. You know, uh, I'm going to be feeling really weak today kind of thing. Yeah. And then there's a whole bunch of other like nuance to it too. Maybe you'll get like advantage and you get to roll D D24 or whatever. Uh, but then conversely on the, on the flip side of that, uh, there is the detriment to spellcasting in regards of not just, you know, burning away your physical stats whenever you want, but there is no spell slots in the game. Uh, instead, you uh, when you roll, you could potentially fail your your spell roll, and it's gone for the day. Or you could potentially, uh, you know, screw yourself over, and you could uh, get some sort of spell manifestation, and you could start burning yourself. Or yep. uh, one of my players actually just recently casted the sleep spell, and it backfired on them, and now he has permanent insomnia. So, you know, like, there's, there's definitely a lot of nuance to that. That's one well. great. I like that. Yeah, yeah like that makes sense. Well. well, hey, so uh, really quick, for those of you that are listening, thank you for sticking with us uh, through uh, this part of the show. If you're listening to us on your drive somewhere from a podcast, please remember to, you know, give us a like, push the button, share it with your friends, and uh, we thank you for listening. So what I really wanted to get into uh, with you, no fun. Cause I, like I mentioned before the show, I had watched uh, one of the, a bunch of the DM round tables videos that you were in and, you know, hearing you say that, you know, you're called no fun for a reason and you don't care if people die. Uh, characters, sorry, sorry, characters, not people, characters die. Uh, it, it warmed my dark soul. So, uh, the main topic I wanted to get into with you, since we're talking about, we're already doing, we're already doing some of this is, uh, you know, your thoughts on encounter design, uh, you know, building and using traps, uh, and then, uh, just the, um, the idea of challenging your players with that risk and reward system. 
uh, in games. But before we get into that, let me ask you the question I ask everybody. When it comes to keeping the players alive, do you strive to keep them alive or fuck it, let them die? Uh, that is purely on a case-by-case basis. It really comes down to when I show up to the table and I run a game, is this going to be a happy-go-lucky, sunshine-and-rainbows kind of game? Or is this going to be a gritty hardcore game? Is this going to be a pulp fantasy? Is this going to be noir? Is this going to be horror? Is this going to be, you know, whatever the case may be, it's always going to be different. Oh, you don't enforce your will on things? uh, It really depends. Uh, You know, first off, if I'm getting paid, I'm going to run whatever game you want me to run. You know what I'm saying? Fair enough. That makes uh, sense. Yeah. But uh, in regards of my general games, uh, it, it is different. I, I, I do sometimes uh, go off of whims. Sometimes I run those death and despair games. Like I've been, I've been running a bunch of those zeroth level peasant one shot games. And then sometimes I run, you know, happy go lucky sunshine and rainbows. You're off on an epic journey to save the kingdom, and uh, you're totally the good guys, and you're going against the clear bad guys, right? But Overall, I'd say my general, like, my go-to is absolutely, uh, I do not care if PCs live or die. Nice. Nice. And the reason why I'm now in that camp is because the choices you make define the character, and I don't want, I don't want to define the characters through the story I tell. I want the players to define their characters over the adversities that I present them. And to that degree, going further, uh, I don't want to be the dungeon master. I want to be the referee. Right. And, you know, that, that's, that's a term that's obviously, you know, ex, you know, expanded you know, over the course of how much time, but... The whole concept of war games stemmed from these uh, officers would drop sand tables and little minis on tables, and, and then the referee would go to one side at a time and say, hey, what are your forces going to do? What are your forces going to do? And the referee would act impartially. And that is no longer the case in regards of our little war games. Oftentimes, the referee is not impartial. Oftentimes, the referee is now acting as a sort of storyteller, or is on the side of the players, or in some cases, I guess, on the side of the the monsters and being adversarial, <laughs> of course. But I often do find myself wanting to be the referee. I want to I want to create a sandbox area. I want to create scenarios. I want to create monsters and simply place them there, and then allow the players to shape the characters. And if they go off in some direction that gets them killed. I don't want to, you know, shoehorn in some BS reason why they live or die. I yeah, res- I, agree. I respect that, and I'm always happy to hear somebody who murders off characters on a regular basis. So, <laughs> so let's start. Let's start with the big one. So, um, do you run exclusively pre-published or homebrew, or do you mix everything? How do you do? You keep that stuff separate. I am uh, completely mixed. Uh, I have ran uh, um, almost all of the 5e adventure modules. I've run plenty of old school stuff. I run my own homebrew stuff. I 
you know, I've, I've made my own stuff in regards of like actually published stuff and I plan on publishing some more too in the future. So do you but, tweak the, uh, encounters like in the, in the pre-made stuff? Cause like you said, they're, they're kind of designed, uh, you know, weak, well, they're weak sauce. That's what they are. So do you tweak those to make things more deadly? Uh, in the 5e ones, it really depends. Uh, cause some of them are actually just natively like sometimes hardcore. Uh, one of my more favorites, uh, Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, there is the possibility that a level one party goes up against a T-Rex. Like that, that's on right. the table. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so for some of them, no, I, I don't change, I don't need to change too much, but for others, yeah, I, you know, I'll tweak it around in regards of Icewind Dale around with the Frostmaiden. I just ran, uh, natively there is absolutely next to no rules in regards of how your players deal with the cold. But then I decided to homebrew in a bunch of rules about, oh, hey, over the course of time, the place is getting colder, and this is going to affect your stats and your saves and da da this and that. So, now, do you yeah, do that I, with an eye towards killing characters, or...? No, I, I will... I, one thing I always, I always tell my players is, with a combination of good tactics and good dice rolls, you will succeed. However, with a combination of bad tactics and bad dice rolls, you will fail. The, the middling section there is... You can control your tactics, but of course the dice rolls are up to the dice up rolls. The dice, right, right. So, you know, it, with a combination of good tactics and bad dice rolls, anything goes. Okay. So when you're homebrewing stuff, what do you? Uh, how do you build an encounter? We, we've we've done some some discussions about this. You don't you don't. I don't. I I rely upon if I'm making a dungeon, uh, it'll be. Uh, in room three, there are three skeletons. Uh, in room five, there are five skeletons and a zombie. In room seven, there's a trap door that leads to a pit that does a d6 damage wound. And then in his first amongst all of that, then there's the random encounters. Okay. So, but you don't and, do any, you don't do any you don't do any design around them more than just like ah oh, put some guys here, some guys there. Like you don't uh, you know work out the tactics ahead of time. Like you know how you know. You know, kind of build nope. in options for gameplay, and then you know, obviously your players can ad- adapt and adjust, and they're going to throw shit at you weren't expecting. But you don't do a lot with encounter design. No, uh, ultimately, what I find is the more time I spend on trying to design the encounter, uh, the more that I just don't care. <laughs> okay, basically. What ends up happening is if I sit down and I create this dungeon where, okay, in room three, there's a skeleton and uh, there's, you know, there's three skeletons and one skeleton with a crossbow on the back. I will end up having a fantastic time running that because of some random thing that's going to occur, you know, when the situation arises, whether that be my dice rolls or more importantly, the player's tactics, something engaging is going to occur. And, if I try and force the engagement, it's no longer engaging. Much like how we were just talking about magic is no longer feels magical. When I did sit there and, and I craft this room, this perfect room, and oh hey, there's a, you know the trap door on exactly this thing, and the monster is going to start at the door, but then run backward and hide behind this, and then you know the, the more I start to do that, the, the less fun I have. And I, when I show up to the table, I don't want to sit there and read the script. I want to sit there and engage with the players and engage with, you know, what's going on. And see, I think and then, that, yeah, I see, I totally see what you're saying. I mean, I kind of run my, um, my girl scout, I run a campaign for the girl scouts and 
I'm building the campaign on random dice. So when they had a random encounter, they met a unicorn and they actually befriended the unicorn and now it's part of the campaign. And, and it's like building itself out of this randomness. And I haven't written a darn thing except for a couple locations, which I still don't have detailed. Um, but I, I like that. I like that idea that it creates itself um, along the way. You guys are uh, making my making my eye twitch. <laughs> sorry, sorry, man. It doesn't need to be that much to to make something work. I, I've always I've often felt that way. The old judges guild stuff was all written very very skeleton, so it could go any way when you sat down and played it. Here's a town. Here's the butcher. Here's the butcher shop. They didn't tell you anything. Your players walked in there. They they went to the gambling office. All of a sudden, they were in debt and. The, the guards were after them because they were in debt, and the whole thing started its own its own story that I hadn't written or anything. Uh, well, um, uh, so me, I kind of see the point. Let me parse out both of your responses and explain to you why you're both wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm joking about that. The end part I'm joking about, but to begin, the beginning was serious. So, with what you're saying, Doc, I'm I'm with you on not having pre-written everything, and then that way that way you you have the flexibility, and, and like you said, no fun. You don't, you know, you're not, uh, you're not there to follow the script. You're not necessarily where you know you have to, do, you have to do X, Y, and Z. Oh, I'm with you guys on that. So, you know, so having that flexibility is great, and having your game be able to, to you know, adjust its story on the fly is is a wonderful thing. Especially, uh, you know, if you know if you're if you're quick witted and good, you know, and uh, you know, good in the the pitch. Unlike me, whose brain is not working at all right now. In case you couldn't tell. Definitely, I'm looking forward to that coffee break. But um, no, the uh, so I'm with you guys on that because and I I have the same kind of thing. I'll make notes about stuff, but obviously, if something develops in the game that makes sense, then I pivot into whatever that is. But um, something you said, no fun about you know not wanting to have you know the you know to be bound with what the monsters are going to do, having the tactics worked out ahead of time. I I do have a, a question or a, sl- a disagreement about that. You don't. When it comes to running somebody else's stuff, you've, obviously if you're writing your own stuff, you you have it and you have your own head cannon. But when you're running a module, right? Doesn't it free you up to not have to think about what all the monsters are going to do? If there's already some sort of either logic tree of kind of what they you know, oh here's what they you know they'll go after, here's the three things that they'll prioritize. Um, but excuse me, having some of that pre-written for you. So you know, like, the intention is in the first round, this guy will fall back because these two guys have a trap set and the third guy is going to do this. You don't think having that framework laid out makes the, it easier for you to run that? What what ends up happening is I throw my piddly, one wrinkled, brained mind at a problem and then I sit there and go, okay, uh, you know, the three skeletons in this room... They, they take cover, and then they activate the trap, and then they do this, and they do that. And then inevitably, every single time, my players ruin everything, right? Right, as they and, do. And, you know, both in life and in my games, the, the players ruin everything. And what ends up happening for me is, like, when the, the next time I'm like, okay, my players did that this time. Okay, so now I'm going to really start to think about this. And then I basically, um, I sit there and start playing chess with myself in regards of, oh, hey, if my players use the spell, then this occurs. But if they're on this initiative, then that occurs. But then, oh, what if so-and-so actually does this ability? And and so, it, like, there, I, I, I've never seen 
a written, published anything that can account for the 50 trillion actions that my players are inevitably going to try out. And so I, I just, I just don't bother. I, I just, I literally wing it. Right, fair point. See, I always what, what I find it in my games is when I, because I don't, I do not use any published material whatsoever. It's, uh, it's, it's homebrew or nothing for me. So what, I, what I find is that I, I feel like fights bog down if I, if I don't have a good sense of what the, the monsters kind of AI is going to be. So if I have to make the choices for them in the moment. Um, there's a lot of second guessing myself after the fight. Like, would it have been cooler if they had done this, 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 or that? Um, but well, uh, what I'll tell you is uh, that'll never stop ever, right? What, what's going to happen is you're going to be like, oh man, it would have been cool if the monster did that. And then guess what? The next time you run that monster, you're going to do that. You, you're not losing anything. It's just you're putting it. You're putting the cool stuff on the back burner. Ah, but it could have been cool ahead of time if I had thought of it. As you always have a chance to use it, is what you're saying. If you think of it, it's gonna you're gonna get a chance to use it again at some point. Yeah. All right. Yeah, Fair makes enough. Sense. Makes Doc, sense. Doc, I, I had a question. Yeah. So do you have a, do, do you have, have a question about designing death? Uh, no. Well, I've actually something we've been touching upon with some of our guests. I wanted to ask. No fun. Do you use inspiration, and how do you use it in your horror games? Uh, it depends on the system I'm running. Uh, I am not uh, just a one. The D and D band. Uh, it really comes down to the system. Uh, in regards to five E in particular, how I typically operate it as is: uh, I'll give it to you if you do something really cool, and you may use it before activating a roll to gain advantage, or you can use it before a roll to dis- uh, to cancel out disadvantage. Uh, that's typically what I do in regards to five E. Uh, in yeah, other wait. systems, I'm have you ever it. taken it away before someone has used it? Mm, no. Okay, because we've talked about some DMs have done that too. I was just wondering if you. It's got, if, like a, if time, you it's got a timer on it, and then it goes away. Well, yeah. oh, was it? It wasn't a timer. I think he said something about if a player's a dick or something, he'll <laughs> he'll take the inspiration away from them. Uh, just wondering. well, uh, in regards of if a player's being a dick, then I just stop running for him. That's the okay. Thing. Okay. <laughs> I don't remove the inspiration. Right. I don't. You don't I'm remove the inspiration. You remove the player. To be your DM anymore. Goodbye. Exactly right. <laughs> but in regards of um, in regards of uh, incentivizing play, you basically you have two options. You either reward or you punish. You reward people for good things. You punish people for bad things. Right. You can have both of those in there. I personally. I thankfully haven't dealt with the issue of needing to minorly punish people. I, you know, I, I've dealt with kicking people because I've, mind you, I've kicked out a ton of people from my groups. But uh, thankfully, I haven't had to deal with, uh, you know, oh, you're being an asshole. I'll take away your meta currency. Right. I haven't right. had to deal with that. Thankfully. Fair enough. Yeah, we okay. were. Our big thing was the like, like, do you use inspiration? Like, I forget that shit exists. I don't. I'm like, <laughs> it's it's funny because it, look at look at the five E character sheet, right? Yeah. This is another topic I want to talk about is the character sheet. That character sheet is the player's lifeline to the how the game works. If you take away that character sheet, then they are only left up to whatever you give them. That's so right. That character sheet should tell the player how to facilitate anything and everything that they wish to do, mechanical wise. And it's funny, inspiration is huge. If you take a look at that character sheet, inspiration is actually like relatively large. And, you right, know, right. and it's it's in kind of in a primo spot too. 
And it's so funny how, like, your eye just lazily flies over it. Because, you know, you, you look at your stats there, you look at your saves, you maybe glance up at your name for some dumb reason, maybe. But inspiration is is in a... It's just terrible. It, like, it's so funny how so many, both players and DMs, forget that it exists. Yeah, and I, mean, I just from- think that was just like a house rule thing, too, in, in, old, in old games where, you know, again, a, a DM rewarded someone for good play and that's the way it went. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I'm old school. We didn't re- we didn't reward people for shit. Surviving was your reward. That that was your reward. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Yeah, I had yeah, a, you know, and that goes back to the reward and punishment thing of uh, your your reward is a lack of punishment. <laughs> like, right, right, right. Yeah, I um, <laughs> I mentioned it. So I mentioned it a few times. We, I have uh, I have players that have have uh, been in games for years that never seem to learn, and uh, I I think some of that might be might have been getting kind of coddled along the way so that, you know, they're never required to get better at the game because they don't get killed. You know, you know, they get the other games they play and they don't get killed and they play in mine and they get murdered and they're like, this fun sucked. I don't like this. I don't like this kind of, I'm like, okay, I mean, it's not my fault. You did the dumb like 14 times. Like you deserve to die. We have a, we have a, an old, an old story where they, you know, kids on watch and by himself. I'm like, yeah, you hear a noise in the darkness. Oh, I'm gonna go investigate it. I'm like, okay, you're gonna leave watch, leave the party behind sleeping, and go investigate this this thing in the haunted wood. That's a good idea. <laughs> you're definitely getting turned into a fucking tree, which is exactly what happened. <laughs> Bitched about it forever, forever. And my other buddy, they were uh, the other players convinced him that they should go back and clean out an extra room of plague rats because it's worth more experience points. <laughs> And of course, he's the one that gets the fucking plague and dies. So he's the only one that suffers. He's the one that didn't want to do it in the first place. And then they were happy because then they got to divide his experience. Yeah. Oh, uh, good shit. All right. So you don't design encounters. Do you build? Do you do traps? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll definitely do traps in regards of you know once again the, the pit trap is the classic one. But yeah, I'll I'll definitely do traps. But okay. the important thing with when I design a trap is I design how it functions in regards of how the players activate it. I, I design in regards of what it does, whether it be some sort of magical effect, it slashes you in half, it stabs you, whatever. I do not think about how it's deactivated. All right. Now, do you build them, like, do you build them just as a resource drain, or are you, do you build them to try to kill people? Because I, 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 I have a few that I built for different reasons, and I was just interested because um, I never used to use traps. I always felt weird, like they don't make sense in a lot of places. But uh, I'm curious, uh, what do you, what do you do with them? Like I said, you know, yeah, um, I, I wouldn't say necessarily a resource uh, consumer. Um, I mean, it certainly can be, especially like I've been running a lot of like old school games recently, and uh, you know, more time spent in the dungeon is a drain on resources because inevitably something's going to happen, mm-hmm. but. In regards of a trap, uh, one, I like to have there be practicality behind it. If you're going down, you know, something that was, you know, I, I don't want there to be a trap where my players are sitting there saying, there's no reason why this trap would be here. It's I want them place, to right. understand yeah, that like, the trap is there for a reason, right? Yeah, like the, the crossbow trap, like the, you know, the hidden spikes or crossbow trap in a, in a hallway that's the interior of the castle where, like, there's nothing valuable. There's no, like, just <laughs> nobody would trap that. Like, there's no, no, re- nobody would do that. Yeah. 
Exactly right, and, and you know, and and for that regard, one, I want the trap to have a meaning and purpose. Yep. Two, uh, you know, as you just mentioned, a trap. Whenever any player stumbles across a trap, they should be like, "Oh, hey, it's trapped." That means there's got to be something worthwhile behind it, you know. And then once again, that you know, that'll prompt players to venture forth. Uh, another thing is uh, traps in regards of traps can be used offensively by the monsters of the dungeon. So let's say your players are about to walk into, you know, uh, like a, a T intersection and then monsters come from behind them. And then from like one side, it's because the monsters are trying to push the, the, the PCs to the trap that's in the other hallway. Right. So, you know, traps can be used offensively. Traps can be used as a time consumer, as a, as, you know, potential lethality. And also very importantly is there are great reward when you have a trap and your players overcome it. And, you know, it, it could be just as simple as the, the pit trap. It could be, you know, the trip wire. It could be the, right. you know, insert whatever. Yeah. See, I got but, a, the last trap I built. I got, I got elaborate with it. So uh, 90 90-foot 90 hallway, there are three 30-foot sections that are teeter-totters. Uh, but they don't, they don't activate until there's enough people have gone across them. And then the... Um, they start going up and down, and then there's there's pits underneath them. Some are some are just spike pits. Some are like you get you know you fall into the abyss type thing, into the void. So you know there's there's because it's five e and people get sad when you insta kill their characters. I you know I have a couple of layers of failed rolls before you like get sucked into the <laughs> abyss. But that's a that's definitely a real possibility. Uh, you know, in there, and it's fun watching. And the uh, the beauty of it was obviously you got to you got to try to balance the weight out, and then you get those. Um, players that uh, cherish their character more than others and are like, I'm not so sure I'm going to go out there and save your character. I'll just stay over here. You'll be fine. Hold on. Leaving people to die. But Now, Merwin, you were mentioning traps. The other thing I think about with traps is I think about, um, and I think uh, No Fun mentioned this kind of too, but I think about like a monster-initiated trap like something like, let's say there's a green, there's like a young green dragon and he like sets up a cave that's got poisonous gas in it. Um, so that there's a reason why this poisonous gas cave is here because further down there's like a, a, a green, a green dragon down the road or something. Um, you know, like those kind of like, or let's say there's a pile of rusty armor, um, that can fall on you that a rust monster is left behind. You know, I like those kind of things. Um, that, that have like a cause and effect. Um, like a monster has left something behind, I think are really neat for players too. We're losing you, Merwin. You, we, may, we may need to take I that told you, break, I, I told you, man. We gotta I, get to, I'm, I, I need to get to the coffee. I'm struggling. Yeah, it's been, it's been a couple of long weeks. Us. All right. All right. Well, uh, I'll, uh, I'll table my question about, uh, about, the cha- about you know, lethal challenges that, you know, uh, for, the, for after the break. So let's, uh, let's move into a little bit of story time. How about that? So... I promised last week I was going to tell you the story of the stupidest thing I've ever seen happen in the game. And uh, no fun, I think you'll appreciate uh, the story and how it ended. So uh, I ran a rather successful Shadowrun campaign back in uh, my college days. Uh, Good group, uh, some guys that were actually like actors. So uh, a lot of drama, a lot of character stuff. It was a wonderful experience, but... As you do, we wanted to let, you know, you let people in who are your friends, maybe not your top choice for gamers. And inevitably, some nerd will luck out and find a girlfriend. And of course, 
when you're that age, the girlfriend goes everywhere you go when you have free time because that's how it works. So we set up a game, and, and the one guy's like, hey, man, you know, my, uh, yo, yo, I'm with this girl. It's, it's going pretty good, man. So uh, she wanted to check this whole thing out. Can I bring her to play? And I'm like, oh, man, like, I don't want to be there. Like, not, like, no, man, really? No, no, dude, she's totally cool. Okay, so he brings his girlfriend along. We kind of explain the rules to her. And you know that moment when you're talking to somebody and, and you know, the lights are on but no one's home, you know, and you give them simple examples and they go like, they just don't get it. They just don't, can't figure it out. This was this person. So Yeah, I was going to say, you know when someone's getting it or not getting oh, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and the worst thing was, he didn't bring her like at the first session or a week into it, or, well, not a week, but uh, a couple of weeks into it, you know. Didn't bring her in between runs. No, no. She showed up right as the entire group was heading towards the climactic, the climactic finale. They're going to go. They got to sneak into a, uh, a dump uh, where there is a, a t- cult of toxic shamans, and the party, the the, the runners have learned that they're trying to uh, summon a like nuclear waste spirit, some ridiculous thing I created, because that's how Shadowrun is. And they have been playing for months at this point in time. They've been working this out. They've done their legwork. They have all their details. They get their gear. They you know they get they got you know shot two shots with the rocket launcher. They find the combat armor. Uh, they get the armor-piercing rounds. They have all the all. They've called in all their favors, cash in all the chips, and they sneak into the dump, get behind a pile of trash, and I explain. And they can see through this narrow, you know, through one of the pathways between garbage mounds. You can see a pair of security, you know, personnel, fully decked out in armor, light machine gun, built up in a little bunker of garbage. Clearly, they expect trouble, and they're ready to deal with it. And I'm like, what do you guys want to do? And now in Shadowrun, the, the gameplay loop is really simple. You spend three hours planning, and then somebody starts shooting. That's usually how it works. Throws everything right <laughs> in the shitter. So I'm going around, and I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And in this moment, there's this beautiful like scene going on where one of the guys, I think his name was Greg, one of the actors, uh, stands up and begins to give his impassioned speech about how important this is and how all they have done has led to this. And, you know, now is not a time for cowards. Some epic shit I don't remember because while he was talking to the rest of the group, I looked over at the girlfriend who seemed to be enjoying herself. She was smiling, having a good time. It's mostly because she was working on three brain cells. So, you know, I could have given her a balloon. She'd have been super happy too. But I look over to her and I'm like, hey, you know, uh, while they're talking, like, what do you want to do? You know, because you can, you can do any, anything you want. That's the beauty of these kind of games. She goes, I can do anything I want to do? Go, yeah. Well, what about the the bad guys over there. I'm like, oh, well, you know, there's a couple of serious looking security dudes in heavy armor, but, you know, they don't seem to know you guys are there. Really? Well, we should get the drop on them. I'm like, yeah, you totally want to get the drop on them. She goes, okay, I'm going to do that. I have an idea. And I'll tell you what that was when we get back from our break. (laughs) So uh, thanks for everybody who's uh, for the ones of people on the internet hanging out with us. We appreciate it. Uh, we have our uh, little commercial loop here, some videos, some of our uh, content, a few ads, uh, and uh, I think a spotlight piece from one of our artists. So runs about uh, 15 minutes. It's 11:56 p.m. on the East Coast. We'll be back at 12:10 a.m. to move into the to finish the story time. Move into the second half of the show. Talk about a couple of our topics with our wonderful guest. The you know, no fun allowed. And uh, we'll see you on the other side, guys.
hello viewers of the game and Dungeon Studio viewers as well. I'm the Forever DM and this is a little taste of the best available. Please enjoy the show! Last left our band of intrepid adventurers, they had managed to find a patron who was willing to sponsor them for the upcoming competition. I am Zacharias. You are adventurers. I have a task inside of Undermountain. There is a object. The group needed to make a name for themselves, though, or they would never be accepted, even with a sponsor. Fortunately, Zacharias had an answer for that, too. Their first task is to investigate the site of a meteorite impact to see if anything of interest fell and if any one of interest had yet laid claim to the site. The party, eager to begin their questing career in earnest, wasted no time in traveling to the site of the impact, but what they discovered there nobody could have anticipated. They tangled with some wildlife that seemed unusually sized, but dispatched it with little issue. However, the crater harbored much more than natural underbrush is one that any seasoned adventurer would know from a mile away it is most definitely a goblin however kill that motherfucker however the creature crawls and it is when two long tendrils slither off of its back and pull it forward that you recognize there is something very wrong the creature's legs have been fused together, and its arms meld into its torso, twisting at the wrist in order to pull itself inch by inch across the ground. Its skull is split vertically from forehead to chin, and much more widely across the mouth. And as the cold black eyes of the goblin look up at Bethaniel, you can see a plea for release in them. Though horrified by the unenviable and inhumane fate of the goblin, the party resolves to put down the poor creature as peacefully as possible. Before they're able to complete this task, however, it's revealed that whatever disturbance had warped this poor soul is not limited to organic material alone, as a line of mutated fence posts rise from the ground and begin to lash out against them. Despite this onslaught, the party prevails and continues to investigate the strange happenings around the site of the meteor. As your allies search the campsite, you hear a soft whispering in the distance. Oh. It's difficult to pick out any specific voice or tone, but there is definitely a babbling. It's coming from the pit. The rope, the yellow, thick, woven hemp that leads down inside, is swaying slightly. Something's climbing up here. Something's climbing here. Get ready. Angie was right. Something was climbing. An aberration beyond human comprehension. A pulsing mass of mouths and eyes, with groaning voices screaming in agony for release. Though this was far beyond what any beginning adventurer could reasonably expect to face in an early quest, there was no turning back now. So they steeled themselves and prepared for battle. I want to eat another torch down, hopefully illuminating it long enough for Ara to be able to cast a spell. 
The torch falls and hits the creature, illuminating it long enough for Ara to fire off a spell. The sacred pillar will illuminate the creature for a moment, and there is a chorus of male voices wailing in pain as the radiant energy tears through their body. The creature continues to slide up the side of the wall and moves another 20 feet its body flowing upwards like a unending tide of flesh. The creature slithers another ten feet upwards, its body contorting and turning to almost a spheroid shape before a larger mouth extends from it and disgorges a large glob of chemical. It flies upwards to the edge of the pit, cascading past Angie and then detonating in a blazing flare of light. Oh, God. Ara, you're able to bring your hand up just enough time to cover your eyes. Unfortunately, Angie staggers back from the edge of the pit, blinded completely and unable to see anything as the creature closes in on her. Might as well stagger back a little bit further. For a second, you're not sure what it was that you stepped in, and then you remember the two bodies that were next to the pit. Your foot descends into one of the sacks that were once men, and you slide along the ground for a moment. But thankfully, you're able to catch your feet, and you don't pitch down face first into the muck. Ew! (laughs) Natalia, you are close enough that the incoherent babbling and moaning and whimpering and crying has started to seep into your mind. You can hear an otherworldly alien hiss. Natalia grasps at her ears and howls, shrieking. Driven mad by the voices, she slams her crossbow into Angela. Roll a melee attack roll with advantage, because Angela's blinded. Angela, you feel Natalia nudging you with the crossbow or grasping a hold of you, but then she smacks it hard against your back. The armor absorbs the blow, but she's screeching something shrill at you about stopping the voices. The creature finally slithers its way over the edge of the pit. Angela, you are able to see again just long enough for the creature to hunker, gorge, and eject another bile burst in your direction. A blazing blast of light engulfs Natalia and Angela side by side. Natalia's trying to bludgeon you with her crossbow, the creature's closing in on you, and you're blinded again. With several wailing roars, the gibbering beast's many mouths crash down on Angela. And though its weight pushes down on her like a tide of flesh, and she can hear the cracking of her shield as chunks are torn from it, she forces the creature's bulk back. Again, the whispering voices muddle her thoughts, but shaking her head free, Angela whips her blade forward, carving into the beast with a cry and severing a chunk of it. One of its twisted faces drops free, dissolving along with the grass next to her metal boot. Gritting her teeth, a wounded Natalia feels her mind giving over to the madness but bites through it. Digging deep, the young woman grasps her longsword with both hands and raises it up high, driving it down through one of the yawning maws and plunging it deep. The feeling of the blade biting flesh is interrupted by a crunching sound as she strikes something crystalline or metallic inside, shattering the damaged fragment of the meteorite with a final blow. With its core broken, a chorus of voices, both monstrous and humanoid, cry out. Some wail in rage while others sob in relief, but their aria is all too short, 
as the lurching pile of gristle and meat loses cohesion, slowly bubbling out onto the forest floor and dripping over the edge. The monstrosity is finally slain, and the group stands bloodied but unbowed over the pit, having avenged those who sought profit and were instead given horror. Hey there folks, I'm MC Cheshire, the editor of this fine Dungeons & Dragons web series. What you just watched was a Last Time on Dragon Ball Z-esque summarization of episodes 1, 2, and 3 of The Best Available. As of recording, we have also published episode 4, which is the final episode of our first true adventure. So if you like what you see, feel free to head over onto our channel, start from episode 1, or just go straight to uh, episode 4, because you've got most of the information that you need to understand what happens from there. Episode 5 is already mid-production, so please look forward to that. As well as making these episodes, I also have a habit of making fun little memes and short videos out of the videos as I edit them. It's just something I do, but I think it's enjoyable, so be sure to check those out too. Thanks for your time. This is Z. Yes. Uh, hello, Kansa. We've been notified of a large nest of rodents terrorizing your establishment. Pardon? Uh, it's very unfortunate. I do. I do apologize. Uh, one of our adventuring parties can be dispatched from the central office in Storm Cove and arrive at your location within a fortnight to destroy the aforementioned foes. I think I'm a little lost here. Can you hear me? What's your name? Z. Z, thank you. So for this feat, our adventuring party will require about six pints of your finest ale, four gold pieces, and an evening with your nimblest wench. Uh, well, the only wench here at the moment would be me, even though I don't swing around that general. Um, however, I do have plenty of ales for you and your your friends. Okay, that's that's a great start, but we, the, the winch is non-negotiable, unfortunately. I could go and put on a dress for you. That is about it. I mean, I won't say no. Now, moving on, let's talk about your adventuring party selection. Are you more in for a brawny gentleman, such as a barbarian, or are you more roguish? Uh, I'm a bit more roguish myself. Okay, that's a good start. So... Let's say we could get you a nice rogue. Will this? How large is the rodent? Uh, it is about, let's say, three leather boots tall. That's very specific, but I like it, Z. Let's say three leather boots tall. 
Now, I would say, unfortunately, you would have to apply for our advanced adventuring party with two additional members, one being up to, depending on whether or not you have the gold, uh, an additional warlock who's made a pact with Satan. Um, so Dave was messaging Hello, Z. That's why I was like, I was like, okay, but can you I forgot his name. Wait a second. We're oh, so I didn't mean to cut you off. We are back. It ended faster than I thought it did. I apologize. Hello, Internet. We are uh, are back. This is the game brought to you by Dungeon Studios, hosted by Grom, the grumpiest of the old man Merwins, along with Dr. Platorius and our esteemed guest, No Fun Allowed. We were discussing pro DMing in the break. Go ahead and finish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, to catch up the, the listeners, uh, you know, I've run a bunch of paid games, and uh, there's obviously many more paid games floating around. But something I recently stumbled upon is the corporate world loves Dungeons & Dragons because it can be written off as a team-building exercise, and for and it can be done for relatively cheaper than other team-building exercises. Yeah, you're right. So there, the DM. there is a bunch of corporations that will pay DMs a ludicrous amount of money but of course, it's ludicrous from our perspective, the the DM. But it's not ludicrous from yeah, the corporation yeah, because like cheap, it's like a cheap shot. Exactly, like <laughs> corporations will, will like love doing these team building exercise things of whatever, of whatever the heck they do. I don't know. I'm I've been poor my whole life. I don't know what corporations do, but <laughs> uh, but in regards of of you know just sitting down and running a game of D and D. But then getting paid a awesome amount for it, you know, that's, that's baller. A hundred percent. And of course, and of course, the the, pe- the the people in the corporation they they get to write off playing D and D as a team building exercise, which I mean, in essence, it really is. <laughs> so it's not really writing it off per se. Sadly, I live in the part of New York where we don't have things like corporations or money. Well, that's like that. That leads me all the way back. Um, <clears throat> You're talking to that. Um, remember that article that came out about the GM shortage yeah, in yeah. New York? Yep. Right, and then it led me to that Discord site for uh, network to hire DMs for jobs in the New York City area. That Discord has sort of went real quiet, and the um, the actual coordinator put a whole apology about his dad dying, and he wants to get back to it soon. So I feel really bad. Um, but supposedly they're going to be back in, in action by April looking for DMs in New York, and they may be getting in touch with us again. Oh, that's cool. Uh, that's, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't mind making no, I wouldn't mind making some side money. Well, let's get back into our story before we move into the second half of the show. So as I said, the party right before entering into this final conflict, making their way with whatever clever plan they come up with, into the uh, toxic waste dump to find the shaman and his cult. The girlfriend, the 
new player has an idea. She's like, well, if we get the drop on them, that's better. So I'm going to shoot them now. I'm like, well, what do you have for guns? She's like, I only have one gun. It's a it's a street line special. I'm like, oh, well, I mean, I know you don't know the rules very well. So let me, you know, that's a real small gun. And these guys are wearing like big time armor. And then the most amazing thing happened not for the party but for me as an evil dm she goes no hang on a second i remember you saying that any gun could be lethal so my gun could be lethal you said it i'm gonna shoot one of the security guys and i'm like i can't believe she remembered that (laughs) well i mean i don't want to discourage you from having fun go ahead and roll you're (laughs) You're, you're a computer hacker character. You have like four dice to roll to shoot your gun, which does the least amount of damage possible. Go ahead. Rolls. You know, and I, I, so could see, I could see as the dice hit the table, I could see a couple people kind of like look up from the, from, the pep, from, the, uh, from the motivational speech and go, you rolling dice? Like looking around uh, Greg who was giving his speech. And they're like, and you could see the fear in their eyes. As their faces go slack, as they see the girlfriend go, yeah, I did a thing. And I go, you all hear a gunshot. And Greg's like, stops. Like, what, what did you say? You all heard a gunshot. One singular 38 special slug. And she turns around and she goes, I got the drop on him, guys. I shot him first. <laughs> and I look at them, they look at me, and they're like, Why didn't you tell us she was going to shoot somebody? I'm like, You guys were giving a speech. You were all busy. She wasn't into it. I mean, she can do stuff. You brought her, right? You wanted her to play. And now she's playing. So go ahead and roll initiative. And that's where the party got TPK'd, never making it inside the toxic waste dump, never finishing the run, never completing the story. They all died because one player had to bring his girlfriend and she wanted to do things. Well, that's my story. Now, real quick, before the one, the three people on the internet listening to me get mad at me, I have had just as many, in fact, way more dudes do dumb shit in games. This particular story just happens to be the girlfriend of a guy. But plenty of stupid dudes. So this is not a... Uh, she's dumb because she's a girl. No, she's dumb because she's new, and I let her get everybody killed because I'm evil. That's what now, this story I've had, is. I've had some great female players, and if you would like me to highlight them to offset his comments, I'll be glad to because I, I know some great female players. No, I've had, so, I've had I've had I've had some wonderful ones uh, recently. Yeah. Recently, myself. Uh, the the girl I was I had mentioned earlier with the uh, you know the the super nice girl who. Let someone get ground to death in front of her during the uh, charity event. Uh, I got my daughter to play. She's been she's been excellent. I play with Girl Scouts. Come on, yeah, yeah, no. yeah. It's good stuff. So before anybody comes yeah. after me, after me with the pitchforks, that just <laughs> happened to be it was a girl in that story. But uh, with that being said, we'll move right into our second half of this. I wanted to finish up my last question from the first part about designing death. So. You use traps when they make sense, um, you know, and you design them to do what they do. You let the encounters kind of fall where they may. 
So let me ask you this. So when it comes to building challenges that are outside of those two things, not a, not a trap, not a combat, do you build challenges that are potentially lethal? Like can people die from you know a conversation going the wrong way or, God forbid, the consequences of their actions? I mean, in regards of... You know, if they go up to the king and say, hey, king, give us your kingdom or we'll kill you. Obviously, yeah, there, there's going to be ramifications. But I, I I, can't say that I sit there and make, you know, a... I, I can't say that I sit there and explicitly make something, you know, dangerous. I mean, it's either dangerous or it isn't. You know, it's like, oh, hey, you know, you see the the wandering caravan of the fire giants um, like a mile away, you know, like if you go up and, you know, throw a sling at them, then yeah, it's going to be lethal, but I, I don't inherently make that lethal. Oh. It, it, I, I truly, you know, have it, it be what it be. Uh, it is well, what cause it I know is. you, you had mentioned that you had a hag earlier that stole some, uh, um, she stole some material from the paladin. We'll leave that unexplained, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's honestly better that way. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and then made a clone of him. So, was there any interaction with that character? A social interaction with that hag? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the hag was disguised as an elf, and the paladin, uh, you know, began to uh, talk to the elf and uh, have relations. He had relations. Yeah, you know, one thing led to another, and then all of a sudden, the the hag dipped, cackling away in the night. Okay. All right, fair. I guess fair enough. But see, that's the thing. So. I like, um, this is a, a, the reason I thought of that question in particular, was I like um, the, some of the cinematic elements in, in, that you can weave into the game. And I feel that the me- like mechanics, unfortunately, because there's a rule for it, or there's, a, there's stats for it, you know, people have defenses and things, uh, it's hard to find moments where you can work that in because, like, the, the hags are, you know, supernatural, you know, they describe them, of course, they're supernaturally strong, right? So we all know how that looks in the movies, you know the the old crones in the in the in the little hut, and the party gets stupid, and the, you know she grabs the she she grabs the the giant burly fighter with one gnarled old knuckly hand and just throws him across the room, kind of thing. You know, well in the rules she can't really do that. Like she's got an eighteen strength, but like you can't pick a person up one handed, old lady. So it, it diminishes that kind of stuff. So I was like I said, I was wondering, you know. Being that you're okay with killing people, you know, you're gonna have, you know, build in those kind of social encounters where a character like that might just decide to fucking like you gotta go kind of thing, steal your soul or make a clone of you. I guess is a, a good way to do that. But I think yeah. a social. I, I was gonna say just for me, I don't think a social encounter. Uh, like I had the heart explode. You talk about cin- cinema, cinematographic yep. uh, stuff. Do you have anything like that? I guess in your game, no fun, like. Uh, yeah, you know, if players do X, Y happens for sure. You know, in regards of uh, the players, uh, you know, press the button, then you know, all of a sudden the, the tower in front of them explodes for sure. You gotta and, press the button. And, when are you gonna be here again? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it, it is one of those things where uh, it, it is like I definitely have like you know, as I mentioned before, I want to create sandbox experiences where there is. There is a stagnant thing there, like that, that will always happen. But it's up to you, the players, whether you do that or not. When you do it or not, it, it's up to you how you choose to interact with it. Like, yeah, you, if you press the button right in front of the tower, the tower explodes. 
But what happens if, you know, three of the party members go into the tower and then the rogue decides to sit back and press the button, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, it, it's, it's just one of those things. And yeah. once again, it, it goes back into the whole me wanting to be the referee of... I, I, I'm i so very thankful. Uh, this might be a little bit trailing off here. No, 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 but I'm so very thankful of my GMing style of being a referee because... Very rarely have I ever gotten complaints. A uh, per example of this is I ran a West Marcher style game where over the course of 82 sessions, 79 PCs died. It was a clown fiesta of PC deaths. PCs were getting constantly eaten, mulched, and devoured, and burned, and scorched, and wh- you know, whatever else. And over the course of those 79 deaths, very, I, I literally only had one player out of the course of like the 30 some odd players actually tell me that like that wasn't cool because thankfully as acting as a referee, the players, whenever anybody died, they yep. could turn to themselves and say, Hey, I, it's because I was stupid. I didn't act by my ability or they turn to each other and say, Hey, you didn't use that ability. Or you, you decided to retreat when we're in the middle of a fight. Or they turn to the dice and say, oh, the dice were just not with us today. And it's really rewarding as acting as the referee when anything bad happens to the players. And instead of them turning to you, they just turn to something else. Like that, that, is, that is a fantastic feeling because I, I, I'm, you know, we've all been there where you, you know, players suffer and then they blame it on you. Right. And like, that, that's not fun. That, that's not cool. You know. Well, I think I think I like the term arbiter even over more than referee because uh, I think it gives you more overhead on the game as well. But I, I think the other thing was like old school. There was that reverse psychology, though, where a DM built up that wall. You built that wall of no fun and hatred. That's what made the play. Right, Merwin? I mean, that was kind of part of the buildup, right? Well, I... I- Remember, I I started I came up in gaming playing with actual psychopaths. Right. So they right. were they were the trying game. to kill you. Like no no fun. I'm going to give you the example of the no funnest death I've ever experienced. I've ever heard tale of. The party fell down a well, and the DM, who's a psychopath, is like everyone roll a d20, and one guy rolled a one, and he goes, "All right, well your character flows to the left, and you catch your neck on a broken grappling hook, and you're dead." <laughs> and, it, and like not joking there's no like like there's no like ah, i'm kidding no like no like he legitimately killed his character which led to a fist fight which led to that campaign ending and then we started a new one in a few weeks because we're psychopaths every one of us but that that was a lot that was a lot of that early gaming in the late 70s yeah. early 80s was that psycho and i'm glad that's i'm and glad you feel like you have nothing to do with that because that's what I wanted as a player back then was just hey let just ref the game play the monster and i will completely respect you and that that is totally the truth and i think i kind of have that with my players a bit as well too that's that's the best thing that's the best advice tonight i think we've given all i think in all our shows is is that's awesome awesome advice i mean what what helped me a lot because uh i would um I've never, I've never been a, uh, a, a an adversarial DM. Excuse me. Where like I'm trying to win, and you you change you know you change the rules and you you do all these things that don't make any sense. 
to to guarantee victory because obviously you have unlimited power. So there's no where's the, there's no fun in that. There's no challenge in that. I can do whatever I want. I'm God. So because you open the door with your left hand, your yep. left hand burns off. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's the yeah that's the kind of shit people will do. Right. So I don't you know. So what helped me um, get better at this was uh, when I when I picked the game up uh, the last go round. So uh, I don't know. Like ten years ago, when I start, when I kind of got, when I was able to get groups back together, was I started to take, and this is, I guess, this goes back to the encounter design thing too, and the trap thing as well. Um, I started this to to think about what the scenes in the game were going to be, and when there was going to be a fight, when there was going to be a trap, I, I looked, I, I stopped and kind of like removed myself from the writing process, and I try to look at the scenario through the eyes of the the you know the npc that created it or the monster that create was creating it and then from their perspective say okay what can they do what would they do so to your to the point about traps needing to make sense right if you're going against a nobleman who's just a rich douchebag um he doesn't he's not a wizard he doesn't you know maybe he could he could certainly hire one i'll give you that but if that hasn't been established in the game the player's should not, you know, break into his house and have a fucking fireball trap explode because it <laughs> it's not something he can do. It's not something that has been established he has access to. Um, you know, it's a nasty trick on the players, which there's some benefit to, to obviously um, um, subverting their expectations. But at the end of the day, like that's that's not what that character is, and that doesn't make any sense. Fight when it comes to fights, it's the same thing. You know, look, you know, you know, looking at it, you know, if the if you know, if the people you're fighting against aren't master tacticians, then I, as the DM, should not be trying to come up with fucking, you know, you know, Patton's plan to take back North Africa. Like, I shouldn't be doing that. You know, they're, you know, they're bumbling idiots, they're bumbling idiots. If they're monsters, they're monsters. They need to act accordingly. And I, I started designing the, the encounters and the, and the, the, ta- you know, the tactics, or at least, you know, the, the script for what I thought was going to happen was designed from their perspective so that I wasn't in the moment going, well, what would I do? Like, what would I do if this was, you know, if I'm trying to win this tactical war game? Uh, and that helped me out a lot with that. So, no, I just keep thinking about, I keep thinking about this one DM. He had a dungeon. It's like, all right. So the first door you go to, doorknob, contact poison. Next door, electricity in the door lock. Next door, acid trap. Next door. It was just like. God, is, is there a door I can get through? <laughs> I do have. I do. I think, I think there's something important there too. Is are you challenging the players or are you challenging the characters? Right, right, right see, exactly. I, see that? That's exactly. where I, th- I think the. Uh, <laughs> what? I hear you, Merwin. Yeah, no, I got it's. I uh, I stopped hearing myself in my headset. I got weird. Hang on a second. Okay. All right. Well, no. So um, I do, I was gonna say I do have I have one, I I did build. Uh, one thing my players in the current campaign haven't got to this yet, but you know I do have one of those where the hallway is just like it's just a bunch of traps like back to back to back to back to back. There's a reason for it though, definitely a reason for it. Um, but no, your point about you know you're challenging your your the players the characters. I think that's where the um, I think that's why puzzles and riddles and that kind of stuff. I think that's where uh, um where that kind of breaks down a little bit. So obviously uh, combats and, and challenges and things like that, those obviously are character, character-based things, um, you know, because it uses the stats. But when you get to puzzles and, you know, thinking, then, I mean, I don't know that there's a good way to make those a, sat- to make those a satisfying part of the game without at least trying initially to challenge the players to solve it. 
because you know the, you know the the um the whole you know somebody be said about a character well my character has an 18 intelligence and uh, a high wisdom and they're a learned scholar so they'd be able to figure out this puzzle easily i just want to roll dice to solve it and i'm like you can do that but i don't think there's any, i think there's no payoff for that right like if you let your players roll dice to figure out the riddle to start not a, i'm saying eventually as a fail safe you got to have it in there but if you just let them, if you just let them dice their way past puzzles then there there's no gratification whatsoever it's just it really just comes down to some random roll so i think for those i think you i mean you have to challenge the players don't you think uh yeah i mean and that also leads to the other discussion of role play versus role play r-o-l-e versus r-o-l-l right yeah yeah you know if i walk into the room and i say hey dm i check under the bed versus hey dm uh i roll perception check you know like where does your game draw the line do you have it be where you have to search for the secret door do you have it be where you have to specify i knock behind this door you know whatever the case may be and there is a lot of games, or the, the you know, it, it comes down to the individual group. But there are a lot of groups that would love to sit there for thirty minutes as they search a room and say, "Hey, I tap on the third brick to the left." And versus, there's a lot of groups yeah. who say, "Screw that! I want to roll one percent check, and that's the end of story." <laughs> you know. Well, hey, that's an interesting point. So you know what? This is a, a good question and an interesting um, thing to kind of dive into. So. Let's take that scenario. So no fun. So you're running the game. You have a, a ho- you have a room. Well, let's just say you have a hotel room for no reason. We'll just pick a hotel. You uh you know the players are trying to find. You you know there's a secret door. The players have no idea there's a secret door. They're in the room. They begin and they're going to investigate. Uh, this is the room where a murder happened. So the body's gone, but the blood stain is there on the bed. How how would you handle them finding that secret door? If you were if you were designing it or and or running it, how would you handle the finding of the secret door? So uh, ultimately, uh, I'm assuming this is like some modern game because you say hotel. But uh, so ultimately, I would say, alrighty, players, uh, you are investigating this room. What are you looking for? And I would ask them to give me like a bullet point list of like, okay, what are you looking for here? Right, so and they everyone, go. I'm looking for a secret door. Because everyone looks for secret doors, right? Uh, I mean, whoever is individual looking, I guess. Um, but then, yeah, I'd have, I'd have that come down to a dice roll. Again, again, like he said before, it's up to that group and those players. And like Merwin, you throw the uh, somebody else might say, um, I go investigate the wallpaper. And it's that player who leads the story with the more detail, leads the mind's eye into a better story. I mean, that's that's what makes a better game is when the player when the player doesn't lead with, "Hey, can I roll a die for this?" It, it, I'm sorry, it just it helps it helps lead the game more, and that that lends to the GM being more of a referee as well right. about well, what what to do and and what's happening. All right, I think. Well, let's uh, let me. Let me break down the verbiage then. So I'm I'm the player, and I say, hey, I'm going to uh, investigate the room for hidden stuff. Do you let me find the door? Uh, I would I would press further and say, like, what kind of hidden stuff? <laughs> you know, the stuff that people would hide. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. 
No, I think I, a novice player there, though, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, Just I, a little bit. Just well, a little bit. Well, I, I, personally, in, in that instance, I demand, like, okay, like, wait, what, what are we really looking for here? Yeah. Right. Well, no. Well, well here's the thing, though. But so, you, so, Doc, you said that, like, that's, oh, that, oh, it'd be a novice player saying that. Well, or it's some dirty, dirty meta cheater who has figured out the, you know, it's like the optimal strategy. So, what's, it's like the, um, Oh, what the hell is the game? Well, I can't remember what the game's called. Um, where you know you're trying, you're trying to get guess who? That's what the game is called. You know, you remember that kids game, right? Right. So the yeah, op, the optimum. Yeah. So there's there's an optimum strategy of giving the of giving an answer that eliminates the most number of people every time to get the minimum number of guesses to yeah. get to that who it is. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So like, so if you, so if you have a and don't take the term the wrong way. If you have a weak DM. Who doesn't? Who's who's not safeguarding the integrity of the game, and that and the, and the, and that that because I have I've again I've played with psychopaths. I have people that are like this. They will figure out that that they that what level of vague thing they're doing to throw at you to get a dice roll and just get the information without actually having to engage with the content to do that. My my rebuttal to that would be then I, I would I would genuinely sit down with the players and say hey like what kind of game do you want to play <laughs> do you want to play a game where you just get it handed to you do you want to play a game where you just simply say hey I look and then I roll like is that the kind of game that you want and like that's a serious discussion to have because there are plenty of groups that would simply say oh yeah I, I just always want to find the secret door and then there's a lot of groups that say oh I want to actually tell you I look behind the bookshelf and knock here and then i do this and that. you know it, like there's so many variants and degrees but uh, i think that also comes with experience too like I, I have an inexperienced player in this ravenloft campaign she is very descriptive in you know when she's looking for things instead of saying dice rolls just because of her infamiliarity with the rules um but the other thing she tends to do is she will ask hypothetical things um and she's like asking the other players she kind of metas a lot because of her inexperience. And like, it's almost like she's leading me on to say if that's a good idea or not. And I have to just like, I just stop and like, don't say anything. Like, if I cast a fireball here, will that take out all three of these guys? And I'll just go, I don't know. You're going to cast fireball here. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's like a whole nother thing. Um, Subtly manipulative people. That's what that is. Well, and, and I think I think every every player learns a relationship with their DM, and sometimes it gets, you know, sometimes it's not a positive relationship. How about that? Relationships have positives and negatives, don't they? So mm-hmm. I guess your relationship with your DM has them too. I guess. Fair enough. Fair enough. Interesting. Interesting. Whew. All right. No fun. Uh, do you have any other uh, questions? Uh, you have any questions along the lines of designing death? You want to throw at me and Doc before we move into part two of this? Um. So, well, one thing that's very important, I think, when it comes to this cooperative team-based game that we run, is emphasizing the team-based and cooperative nature of it. I see a lot of times that there are challenges presented that would challenge individuals, like, for, for example, traps. There's plenty of times where traps can be easily handled by a single person. There's a lot of times where a specific scenario or an encounter can be handled by a certain, certain person, another one, of course, being social interactions. 
I, I think it's really important that you emphasize pushing the need, the absolute necessity to incorporate the group, incorporate the team, because then if it's a failure, it, it's very much so you can you can look to the party and look to, you know, it doesn't just always have to come down to the individual. And that's a rewarding experience, you know, like, like for example, being the, the trap. If yep. you have a trap where you need two people to stand on that side of the pentagram and one person needs to be inside of the pentagram, that can lead to intricate maneuvers and fun interaction. And if anybody dies, then you know who to blame. Versus if it just requires one person to step in, they flip it, that person dies, and it's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so you would... So well, you, 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 I have a question for you then, though, because you're making it sound like you need to put more design into it to get everyone involved. But you said you let things take their own course. So how do you, as this referee outside of your campaign, get your players to sort of get like a playbook to start working together? I mean, because it sounds I, like you, it sounds like you want them to do that, but it doesn't you don't you're not designing anything ahead for them to do that i mean just giving them the scenario well i mean in regards of like combat scenarios i mean the simple one to that is have more monsters than any one person could handle right uh and also create in like encounters not create encounters but just have encounters in the world where they can't be just solved, be solved by just one person's, you know, mentality of, oh, hey, if we retreat down this way and oh, if we, we you know, put a trap wire right here. No, like ha- having having dynamic, you know, environments where it's more than just one person is able to claim victory, I think is good. I like, the, I like the idea of diam- a dynamic environment to get everyone involved somehow is, is it like an overscoping arc that's interesting. And in regards of specifically, like, let's say a trap, you know, I I don't put too much, you know, as as I mentioned, I I don't put too much thought into how, like, a trap is solved. I, like, I I just think about, oh, hey, you know, how does it start? How does it activate? You know, have have, like, I I love when the players sit there together and they're like, oh, hey, what if we do this? And then someone will be like, no, 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 we can't do that. We got to do it this way. And then everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I love that sort of engagement at the table versus... The one we've all seen this. The one player who tells everyone else how to play, you know, yep. they're yeah, like, I want yeah. to avoid that as much oh, as yeah. possible. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then yeah. inevitably they're like, "Well, it's like, well, I just want to, I want them to learn how to do the smart thing." Well, why is it the thing you say is the smart thing? <laughs> no, and that's I was just thinking about the design. There was this um, this one I run I've run uh, for my chronic group and the Girl Scouts where. It's this trap, but it's sort of, you're actually, uh, it's a mechanism for a doorway on another level. And you're actually able to access this area, but you have to have two players. One has to get on the other one's shoulders. So you have one doing this athletics check to hold the person up, and then the other person is doing the um, acrobatics check to stay up and disengage this these something that's like jammed in the gears so they can go back up. Like I feel like that's where design is kind of important to get that teamwork going with your team, with your members, with your players sometimes. So, you know, I, to give it a consideration, some things can be designed to build teamwork 
and then that that'll come to mind for them again. I just I just feel like I've had those situations where in, in both of those cases, and I don't know if it was kids and chronic people that thought, hey, we can work together and solve this. But it was nice to see that kind of play. And in that situation, it was designed for two players. So I think design is, is kind of key to get really that to work well or to have a purpose. Like we keep talking about things having a purpose in your game. So I, I just throw that out there as an idea. Sorry. I like to brainstorm while we're talking. To no, folks. no, I like it. So I, so no, I, I, go, go. No, I say I take it no fun. You're uh, you're not a fan of the of the the play style where there's a, the party's got to be balanced and there's got to be one person who's good at one thing and that's always their thing to do. Like the one person has a good perception, one person has a good investigation, one person can do this. You know, they where they spread those roles around intentionally to. Uh, and artificially, so they can cover all the challenges. It's always one of those funny things of like, all right, all the adventurers sit down in the tavern. It's a perfectly balanced party somehow, right? Like, <laughs> that would not be the case. Like, right. a, a real adventuring party would be like nine tenths of them would be fighters, and you'd like maybe have like a cleric, right? Yeah. Like that that would be the adventuring party. I always tell my players this before I before we start our games. I'm like, hey. I don't care about your group comp. I don't care about your build. I don't care about what spells you have. I don't care about any of that. Just play the character you want to play. And and, and I know that all, all the time my players will talk amongst each other and be like, well, I want to be the rogue. Well, I want to be the... And like, I, 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 I have to like reiterate again and again, like, I don't care. I don't care. Right. But, if they all showed up with rogues, you, you, you don't, you'd ref it. You yeah, I mean, it. yeah. I, honestly, uh, like, because I'm I'm running a bunch of old school stuff right now. I'm running um, some old school essentials. If you had a group of all rogues, you know what that game's gonna be? It'll be great. It's gonna be avoid fights the game, yeah, and yeah. I think that's actually really fun. Yeah, I'll be great because be in in that game you get XP for gold looted. You don't get you barely get any XP for fighting monsters. In fact, fighting monsters is in fact discouraged because you'll die. Mm-hmm. So like that game will be sneaking around the dungeon, you know, going through all the traps and and avoiding the monsters, getting the gold, sneaking out. Like that, you know, that's a fun game right there. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. Yeah, I like I like the unbalanced parties. I always hate it when. Uh, and this is inevitable in most groups. There's always the one guy who's like, "All right, what's everybody else playing so I can build the thing we don't have?" Like, how about you? Yes. Just, how about you just build a character who's fucking interesting? How about we do that? Let's start with that. Well, like, then you're not playing a character at that point. That's what you were just saying against role playing yeah. versus role playing. Yep. Really, at that point too. Point. It, it, that's why recently I've been I've been really really harping on running zeroth level adventures to kick off a campaign because what ends up happening when I'm running five e is these people build these characters with super duper elaborate interesting hardcore five page backstories, but when I go when I get rid of that minutia and I say hey we're you know you're a peasant you're a loser you're nobody and you go on this adventure the people that survive they are going to become a class based off of their experience. The person who picked up that magic wand in the middle of the fight and cast a spell, that guy's probably going to be the wizard. Right, the person right. who held on to the holy symbol for dear life, that guy's probably going to be the cleric. And I think that is way more engaging and, more importantly, way more organic of, of determining class than showing up and, of course, you know, just being the optimized party. 
No, oh, that's true. And that, that's really a good point with the organic, the organic way to, to develop the party instead of just picking it. All right. Well, hey, let's uh, let's hit up. We got in the in our closing minutes here. Let's hit up the kind of the second half. So normally, what we do uh, with folks like yourselves, um, you know, give you give you you know, is uh, pick your brain about your process. You know, getting on YouTube and you know the things that you're doing, the content you're making, and um, what lessons can be learned. There's a lot of people out there that uh, you know you know want to be the next big podcast. They want to be the next big YouTuber. Um, certainly, Doc and I can't give them any tips because we suck at this. But uh, <laughs> so we get you on to give we get you tips. on to give them tips because <laughs> here's because so, here's the thing so like I said you're um yeah you know, um when you start like you started out doing this obviously you know you went you had to have gone through the same thing we're going through with uh you know the you know, you know struggling to get eyes on your content getting people to subscribe getting that community built up getting the getting the consistent engagement uh, and that's a never ending challenge obviously but. Um, you know, what's that been like for you? Like when you started, when you decided, you decided to do this, you know, did it, I mean, did it take you, you know, weeks to start, start picking up steam? Was it months to pick up steam? So I'm very fortunate in my regard because when I started my channel, I had this large community of nerds that I was running all these games for and all my family. And when I started my channel, I was like, Hey, subscribe to my channel, people. And so immediately, like, I went from zero subs to a decent amount of subs. And that small gesture of getting all my hundreds of friends and family and whoever else to sub to me real quick, really early on, was actually incredibly large. Yeah, I, also, that's I, I keep I keep stressing that to everyone at Dungeon Studios how important that is. I, to have that surge in in ticks all at once is huge for a company. Go ahead, continue. Yeah, and uh, and then I was very fortunate because uh, I, I I started my channel by covering Tomb of Annihilation, but then I was the first person to really cover uh, Icewind Dale: Rime of the Frostmaiden that had literally just released at that time, and so. I was both, you know, fortunate in that I was able to cover, you know, get a bunch of people right from the get-go, and then also cover the most recent trend. And uh, then, of course, uh, I covered Curse of Strahd, and Curse of Strahd is, like, there's so many Curse of Strahd fanboys and girls just Mm -hmm. absolutely ecstatic about that. I think the consensus is that, that, I think the consensus is that, uh, Curse of Stride is like the best campaign book they've put out of all the ones they've done for 5e. I personally disagree. I personally no, believe Tomb Annihilation is better. I was going to say, and I've read both, and I think Tomb is better. I want to play Tomb so bad. Next time I run Tomb of Annihilation, I'm going to be using uh, first edition D&D rules, so that'll be fun. Oh, that'll be great. Oh, I mean, my God. Don't get me wrong. Like Dinosaurs, Liches, and Instant Death are awesome, but I mean... I think Strahd's got a way greater depth of like character and interactions. There's there's so much to that. You know, I just I feel like they did such a shoddy job with some of it. Some of the naming of characters. I feel like they they left handed it at some point right. when there was so much so much stuff out there. They just kind of. Right. I'd like I you, don't know. I'd like to point this out to the internet. You both can eat a bag of dicks. Like, I try to give some Ravenloft love, and you guys are like, no, Ravenloft sucks! Wait, don't you guys Don't you guys love it? I thought it was good. It sucks! No, no. Green Curse Strahd is number two, but, man, I Tomb of Annihilation 
is truly an adventure, right? Like, and then, you know, I keep on harping on these, like, dichotomies of roleplay versus roleplay, and are you, playing, you know, doing this for the player or the character? Another one is, do you prefer stories or do you prefer adventures? That's a good point. Too. No, I'm, yeah. see, I'm a I'm a lore whore and a drama person, so I like the story. I like the there you uh, go. You know, I like I like I like. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I you know I like I. I was just having this conversation the other day. Let me try to do it in English now. <sighs> I like the story, and I think that while adventure and exploration is one of the pillars that the game is supposedly built on, I don't know that that translates very well in the game. I don't think it ever has. You know, it, it's just some something lost when you're only experiencing the what you explore from what is described to you by like the DM. So I think the results vary, obviously. So I, maybe I'm jaded because I'm like a forever DM, and the the people that I, whose games I've played in, uh, you know, typically are not. They don't narrate don't the way that I would like them to. Right, I was gonna say it doesn't tickle your. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm a little snobby about it. I get it. (laughs) But that no, but that but here's the thing. That's where I think the fan like you can tell you can have a good story in a D and D game. It doesn't matter, like the the presentation aspect of it because it's there's not there isn't an external component to a story. You can internalize a story. And then you can you can headcanon it yourself. And if the story is good, if it has the the bits and the pieces and the elements and all the things you want, it's a good story. But you know the if you can't if if the person running the game doesn't convey or the material doesn't convey the splendor of the environment and the you know the the desi- you know the struggle and the desire when you find stuff. Like a lot of it's a lot of it goes missing. So, like, I'll give you an example. Like, uh, so I've I've never been to the Grand Canyon. I hear it's pretty grand, but like, it, like you know, it like I've heard people talk about it, like it's no, it's it's overwhelming. Or the uh, here's a better extra. Here's a better one. Sorry, since we were talking about Chinese spy balloons earlier in the sky, um, going out to you know uh, you know the middle of nowhere in Arizona, and you know you're hundreds of miles from where there's any lights, light pollution, and you look up at the night sky. It's breathtaking compared to like the twelve stars I see here in New York, like when I you know on a good night, and discovering that like so people telling me how cool it is, I'm like oh yeah def- I know it would be cool I I logically on a rational level know that it would be awesome to stand out there in the middle of the dark, and see that shit or you know go up on top of the the observatory on top of the the uh, big ass mountain uh, in Hawaii, I know it would be amazing. And I've heard people who've seen it describe it. Like I've listened to podcasts where they talk about how cool it is, and people have gone out to the you know to the desert and have told me how it looks. I I know that I'm never going to get the feeling from them describing it to me, or even looking at pictures that I'm going to get from going and seeing it myself. Right? There's always going to be there's always a a, a level that I'm not going to reach. So when it comes to exploration in games, I always feel that there it falls short every time. You know. It's just my opinion on it. So, so just because just because people don't have an experience don't have don't have an experience for uh, it. I mean, is that I mean, is that what you're saying? Like, if someone has ex- traveled the world, are you saying they would feel more comfortable in the exploration part of the game? I just well, I'm I just wondering. I, I mean, is I think it what I'm, I think I think what I don't know because here's the thing because like like I've. Trying to think because again, there, there, there. That again is role playing versus role play. I mean, that's 
It's the same thing. It's just like life experience. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I know. It's a, it's a hard. Yeah, and, and also, and also, also, when when I said adventure versus story, yeah, uh, it, it's not about exploration versus role play. Right. It's, it's more a different it's, thing. It, it's more about a story is a pre-scheduled program versus an adventure is the players making the story. Choose choose your own adventure as opposed. As, and Merwin, you're very homebrew, so I see you more story than adventure. Right, but here, but here's the thing. But I don't. I'm not. I it's it's collaborative storytelling. Like there there's there are things that are happening. So like there's there are story arcs. There are things that happen in the background, things that happen in the foreground, things that happen to the players or because of the players. That's just the nature of the game. But they build like they make choices. The story, and I say this all the time. You know, there's no winning or losing. It's the story goes in different ways. And the players do that in my games all the time. And it builds that story into so so much more than I had written down on the page. Right? And I just, but I just don't, I don't, I don't, maybe, again, maybe it's a, it's a weak point that I have as a DM. I don't know. Like, I just don't. I don't feel no, the exploration part is the same way. Are you are you worried about the tribe of goblins that you're in charge of and their actions while the players are doing whatever they're doing? Like, like that becomes the thing. You know, are are you too? Are you being more of a referee? Or are you on the monster's side? <laughs> I guess I guess that's a. Well, no, I'm, there's no thing. Like you guys were talking before the show, we're talking about how you know how massive the you know Castle Strahd is, right? Right, you know, it's Castle. It's Castle Ravenloft, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, the Castle's Ravenloft. Like Zelda is not the main character of Zelda. Um, no, and how like you'll never see the whole thing, and you know it's this massive map. Like when I when I so like when I look at the maps for that kind of stuff, I get that like goosebumpy, like oh this is so cool kind of feeling. You know, so I understand it, but when you're playing in it, it it doesn't. I don't know. It just doesn't feel the same to me as, as like if I was actually walking around a castle. I don't know. Again, maybe maybe it's because I don't have that experience in my in my in my real world life. Okay. Okay. Maybe. No, it's because you're forever DM. That's yeah, that is also probably the problem. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're fair cheated. enough. Fair. Yeah. Fair it, enough. Honestly, like it is like because I'm a forever DM too. Yeah. And I, I sit down to play a game, and it's amazing the the difference in the way you perceive the game behind the screen. Like, when yeah. you see behind the screen, of course, you know everything that's going on. But when you actually do those rare opportunities to get to be a player, you're looking around, you're like, what the heck is going on? Like, it, it, it's, think, it's fascinating. And yep. I think that's what excited me about coming to play Enron was it was breaking me out of, I was a forever DM, so it was nice to go play with different people and see a different campaign. And now, same thing, changing game systems. Is the same thing. Changing a game system really refreshes your yeah. your feeling for you know playing a character and not just your player motivations, your character's motivations. Yeah, that's a fair point. You know? And um, a good example of this was we in in the original playtest of my module from our Volume Two Kickstarter, Titan's Peak. Uh, one of the fights, I'm like, man, like ah, oh, it didn't go the way I wanted it to, and. You guys didn't get beat up as much as I thought it was going to. Really underwhelming. I got to tweak that. Like that wasn't dangerous enough. And uh, Doc was playing it. And they're like, No, no, it was plenty dangerous. No, we we thought we we're gonna die. It was terrifying. I'm like, I didn't really. You think so? I don't. I don't think yes, I did it well enough. It was. It was terrifying. 
<laughs> you guys are just being nice. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I need, I need to jack it up to eleven. That's what needs to happen. So <laughs> no, that, that that happens to me all the time too. Is like I'll run an encounter and I'll be like, man, that wasn't challenging at all. And they're like, oh my god, we thought we were gonna die. And then there'll be other times where I'm like, oh my god, my all it's gonna be a TDK. And the players are like, eh, it was fine. Like. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, you know we're we're showing up to the same game, but we're, we're you know we're picking up something different. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely. So, all right. Well, hey, it's uh, it's just about one in the morning here on the East Coast. I know it's early for you uh, Pacific Time folk, but uh, Doc, I'll I'll give the floor to you since uh, you are the guest booker and people you want and you want to talk to people. Is there a question we haven't asked that you want to throw out there? For well, I just no I fun? just wanted to ask, I just wanted to ask no fun besides YouTube. Do people find you anywhere else uh, uh, if, they, if they want to search you out? Unfortunately, no. I, I kind of gave up on Twitter, and uh, I haven't really been doing too much else. I will be publishing my adventures and tabletop role-playing game system at some point this year. I have no idea where the heck they're going to be, though. I don't know if I'm going to create my own website or I'm going to go on. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I got no clue yet. But uh, it, it's common. It's just... Now, what about your Discord? Is that is that a public Discord? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, yeah I've got Discord. a public Discord. Uh, you can find it uh, from my YouTube. I've got like the link in every single one of my okay. videos. Right, I just wanted to make sure that that was public or not, because um, I don't know if I see a... Uh, I might jump in a game. I might yeah, I, uh, Dungeon, uh, the new core classic. I'm dying to play. I'm dying. Yeah, to play. you should. You should. I, I, I run games. I haven't. Uh, I, I ran a bunch of games last week. I'm gonna be running more games in the future. Uh, I run more than just Dungeon Call Classics. Though. I'll be running a bunch of other things. And I was thinking at some point in the future, I'm probably gonna start up another West Marches style game. Uh, you know. So and I also am gonna be running a Tomb of Annihilation using old school essentials, which is essentially first edition. Right. Right. Uh, so that'll be really fun. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. So you don't no, think? No, no, oh, sorry. You, uh, you no, say go you, ahead, Marwin. You uh, you don't think you get any traction on your uh, on your channel by putting up uh, like live plays or anything? Do you have any desire to do that stuff? I I'm not going to live stream any games of, on the pure off chance that I just so happen to get some unsavory type showing up. But <laughs> I do, in fact, I will be putting up like recordings of games. Yeah. Okay. At some point. Uh, I, that is coming for sure. Um, I have several thoughts on that. I was either going to be doing, you know, whether that be like a a dedicated game or West March's game or one shots, or another idea I had was me doing solo plays and then me putting those up too. like, I've got a bunch of ideas. So, but those are definitely coming. I did think of another one for your YouTube channel. I noticed like you use the curse of stride, Banner and you use the uh, player's handbook picture a lot. Um, how do you pick your images and stuff to use? And are you like choosy or you just stay with straight uh, stuff you're allowed? You know, how, how do you do that? Oh, your art direction. So if you do all that, you're on your own. Yeah. So I actually discovered uh, it, when I started this YouTube channel, or not necessarily started, but like a little while ago, that I'm neurodivergent in that. I do not look at thumbnails when I go to watch videos. I legitimately, when I go to watch any other YouTuber, I will never look at your thumbnail to determine if I'm going to watch your video or not. And what I discovered, too, is uh, also my thumbnails suck ass. I am terrible (laughs) at creating my own thumbnails. And it literally, like, it took me a year and change 
because I, I was just pumping out my videos and putting up, you know, terrible thumbnails. And it, it took me a year and change for other people to say, hey, your thumbnails suck because no one told me. <laughs> and then so finally people told me and then I kind of made thumbnails based off of how people tell me they should look like. And they're still not great, but I mean, they're a lot better than what I was putting up before. So uh, my art direction is uh, lack thereof, I should say. And uh, <laughs> no, 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 I'm just wondering if you ever ran into any kind of copyright stuff. Not, I mean, I noticed you have a lot of stuff up that's like, ooh, there's some is someone ever ever there to say, hey, you can't have that up. Um, uh, to my knowledge, you're allowed to use Wizard of the Coast art uh, for YouTube. As I say, you stay pretty Wizard of the Coast art. You don't really go off that. I've well, noticed. Like, uh, so our, uh, our the Raven, same thing in their videos. Like, a lot of their artwork is magic card art. Which, by the way, magic, I mean, if you want a repository of thousands, dozens, hundreds, maybe even hundreds of thousands of pieces of art, Magic Gathering is the way to go. Right. Okay. But uh, but yeah, to my knowledge, Wizard of the Coast, you are allowed to use their art. Um, I haven't, I don't use other people's arts. Like, it, like I'll put up like the uh, the the uh, the the cover art of um, you know, tabletop role playing games that I cover. But and you haven't dabbled in AI art at all. Uh, no, I so I mean AI art I know is a little bit touchy for some people. I know some people are against it. Some people are okay with it. I personally just haven't touched it because once again, one, I'm poor, so I can't even afford it. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but two, just I, I once again, I, I'm also playing. You're playing with how many games a week? <laughs> yeah, I, I run a bunch. I'm I'm writing. I'm recording. But also, I just genuinely don't know if I have the artistic understanding and capability of manipulating an AI to create good art because I genuinely don't know what good art is. So. <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I don't have too many more. Qu- I mean, that's no, I think we, uh, we went over, we went over. Yeah. The things I wanted to ask and we went over the stuff you wanted to ask. You got to fanboy out a bunch. You. I have to say thank you for coming. Really? Yeah, yeah, I have no, to say uh, thank no, you. No problem. Yeah, we, we appreciate it. Hope you had a good time. I know we talk a shit ton. It goes a long time. Uh, but uh, I don't think you can really can get into a lot of these topics doing uh, short sound bites or like you said, uh, top ten doobly doos. Nobody, you know, okay, well, it's not. That's not good. So, uh, well, to uh, our ones of listeners, we appreciate you being with us tonight live. Please check us out, uh, you know, and share with your friends uh, on all of the all all of the podcasting platforms. You know, you can find our show, uh, watch a live stream, check out uh, us on Facebook, join us on our, our plays on YouTube. It's really late, and I'm struggling yeah, super hard. Is that, I'm normally dungeon, much smoother than this. Go ahead, Dungeon Studios dot DungeonStudios.co. Please check out our Facebook page, man. We got some free maps. We got all kinds of stuff going on there. Like and follow us. Share with your friends. Uh, uh we got all kinds of stuff. Some of our guests uh, get little appearances here and there on our Facebook page. So check it out, please, please. We're always looking for writers, actors, voice actors, yep. artists, uh, creatives. Um, you like being a working with a group online? Check us out. That's that's what we're all about. Uh, fantasy role playing, sci-fi. Yeah, check us out. Join our Discord. Check out our guest uh, YouTube series. No fun allowed. Oh. And he left. No, he's back. No, he's back. He's back. He's back again. For he's, a like, I thought you, he's like, I thought you guys were done talking. We lied. <laughs> yeah. We weren't. Um, 
So uh, before Doc and I ramble on to leave the show, uh, we'll, we'll turn it over to you one last time. No fun. Yeah. Uh, plug yourself and uh, say goodbye to the internet and whichever way you want. Go ahead. Alrighty. Uh, no fun allowed. You can find me on YouTube. Do not click on the Minecraft video. Uh, you can go to the second video and that'll be me. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, I don't know if y'all know, but uh, there was a big YouTuber, Technomancer, and uh, if you type in No Fun Allowed on YouTube, his yep. video comes up because it's got like a million some odd views. Sadly, the dude died. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it was uh, Technoblade. My kid was... Uh, Technoblade, yeah. No, you're good. No, my youngin was uh, working on being a Twitch streamer, d- did did Minecraft, was super into to Technoblade stuff, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it sucks, man. Gamer, uh, Gamer gone too soon. All right, man. Well, so, again, uh, I, I cover I cover uh, tabletop role playing games. Uh, I cover how to play them and run them. I cover DM and just general GM advice. I'm going to be putting out a bunch of content in the future. Uh, putting I put out a bunch of comedy shorts here and there and everywhere. So I've got a nice variety of things. Oh, comedy shorts! Perhaps we could interest you in a. Uh, a wonderful engagement with our deception checks team. We'll have to set that up afterwards. We'll have to. We'll have to. We would certainly have to. All right. Well, uh, remember, guys, you can join us on our Discord. You can hang out and hear us bitch and moan during the break. You can hear all the chaos and disaster before we start the worst podcast on the uh, broadcast and live stream on the internet. And you can hang out with us afterwards. So um, thanks for being here. Uh, remember, we play we play tabletop role playing games because they are unlimited. So why listen to conversations that are any different? Doc, say goodnight to the internet. Hey, good night, everybody. And whenever you start out, you start out extremely odd, but with a little creativity and effort, you're going to have the prime advantage. Hey, good night, everybody. Thanks again. No fun for joining us. Good night, Oh, there's no music again because I suck at this. Sorry, internet. Every time. Every time. No, I like to leave the mistakes in there. Let's know we're human.